and welcome to episode 11 of the RF Generation Playcast for February 2015. This is Grey Ghost 81. This time around for the retro segment, Rich, Steven, and I discuss a true classic of the action-adventure genre, Legend of Zelda A Link to the Past, for the Super Nintendo and Game Boy Advance. On the modern side, Rich... Floyd and special guest Engineer Mike delve into the modern cult hit Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors, better known as 999 for the Nintendo DS. As usual, it is advised that listeners of this podcast have already played the aforementioned games because our discussions are rotten with spoilers. As always, you can listen to the show on Podomatic, iTunes, and YouTube. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Go log on to rfgeneration.com to join our playthroughs and discuss the awesome games we play. Thank you as always for listening, and now, on with the Playcast. So hello and welcome to the Retro Podcast for February 2015. I'm your host Rich and with me this time on the show is uh, our good friend Grey Ghost 81 or Sean. What's up everybody? And we've also got uh, our newest member, Mr. Disposed Hero, and uh, you guys know him on the show as Steven. Hey, how's it going guys? Well, without further ado, we'll just go ahead and get to it. Steven uh, actually hosted the show um, actually hosted the game in February. Uh, his first game, a uh, big title, uh, Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past. So we'll just let him uh, go ahead and describe the game and tell you a little bit about it. Well, uh, Leg- The Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, was made by Nintendo for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. It was released in uh, 1991 in Japan and 1992 in North America and Europe. It was uh, developed by the legendary Shigeru Miyamoto and his development team. It's an action-adventure game played from a top-down perspective, and it's the uh, follow-up to the first two Zelda games that came out on the Nintendo Entertainment System. You play as a young boy named Link. You go on a quest to save uh, the Princess Zelda and the Land of Hyrule from the evil Ganon. Uh, Along the way, you fight a ton of enemies and some nasty bosses. You explore dungeons. You collect a lot of items and tools and weapons that are necessary to complete your adventure. Uh, it's pretty much your standard Zelda formula that they've Nintendo has stuck to for the past almost 30 years. Uh, it's considered by many to be one of the greatest games of all time, and uh, it actually finally got a direct sequel um, more than 20 years after its first release on the 3DS uh, called A Link Between Worlds. All right, so before we get into the game and, you know, really talking about it, I just want to... Um to sort of list off the uh, participants we had this month. Of course, with a game like Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, um, you know, that draws a big crowd and uh, was no exception uh, with this playthrough. Uh, we had uh, Addicted, Sea uh, Bears 2, uh, Mr. Disposed Hero, of course, who finished the game, Dougley007, Eric Escapade, uh, one of our German uh, site members, uh, Fleech, of course, uh, Grey Ghost 81, Sean, he has finished the game, and most recently, right, Sean? I uh, finished it yesterday morning, actually. Awesome, awesome. 
I think I finished it one day before you did, so uh, I'm a recent finisher as well. And uh, let's see, we had a, a new member, um, Gredler. Um, w- was this a friend of yours, Stephen? Is that correct? I th- No, I think it was either uh, maybe Dudley 007 or maybe Jerry Greenwood. I'm not okay. sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it wasn't wasn't me. So. Yeah, new site member. So welcome to the site, Gredler. Hope you'll join us for some other playthroughs. And, uh, of course, Jerry Greenwood, who is always uh, busy on the forums, telling us a lot about the games. We always appreciate his participation, and he also has finished the game. Uh, another one of our newer members, our actual uh, schmuck champion from December um, 2014. He has the belt to prove it, and we've seen it on the website, Metal Fro. Uh, Newpoil uh, is playing with us this time. He has finished the game. Russ Lyman, or Rustly Man, is playing. Uh, myself, and as I mentioned, I finished the game. Wimpster and ZC Rich 01 is playing the game as well. Another newer member who's been very active on the site. So thanks everyone for uh, joining us this month, and hopefully we can do this game some justice in discussing it. Um, we'll kind of start off. You you've already told us a little bit about the story and sort of the story overview of this game. Um, I think I was talking to Floyd today, and and I was like, well, it's just sort of that game, you know. Uh, Girl gets stolen, hero rescues girl, uh, fight bad guy, and game ends, right? It's not it's not the deepest, um, I would say, plot for a game. Yeah, it's pretty pretty standard stuff. And and there's not a lot that changes throughout the game either. I mean you you sort of stick to that plot. Uh, um, I know I know Floyd was talking about he hasn't quite finished the game yet, he didn't want any spoilers or anything like that to be revealed to him, and I was like, Well there's not really any spoilers to be yeah, revealed. You just kind of to spoil. Yeah, you just kind of play the game. It's like you know, pretty much any other Zelda title. So I, I guess my question is, is um, and I know we'll get to this as we as we go along, uh, but just something to think about as we go along is what makes this game special. I know you mentioned that a lot of people think that this is the best Zelda game of all time, and you know I hope we'll kind of dig into that and sort of figure out why we think that this may be the best Zelda game of all time. Maybe some of you will disagree. I guess we'll kind of start out with um, talking a little bit about the gameplay and controls. Um, how, how were the controls for you guys? What did you think about, you know, the button locations and things of that nature? Well, I guess, uh, uh, let me go first, because I played it on the Game Boy Advance. Oh, nice. So I, I actually, I own a Super Nintendo cart, and I should have, probably tested it out and played around with it but oh, i no. didn't i i only played the game boy advance uh version because i'm uh really busy at home on the you know in my personal life and also i'm playing a yeah. very uh deep uh, console game right now so i didn't have any free time at home um so i played this game on the game boy advance at work almost exclusively and um the only problems i had with the controls was that sometimes i couldn't uh, get Link to face uh, the right direction in the mm-hmm. heat of the moment, in the heat of battle. Like mm-hmm. I'd be slashing away, trying to face down, and I'd be facing right or something. And it that mm-hmm. got frustrated for me sometimes. But as far as on the Game Boy Advance, the um, you use your items with A, you slash your sword with B, mm-hmm. uh, pull up your item menu with select, and your map screen with L. And I forget what the the R button does something too. But um, oh, R does like picking stuff up, uh, okay, and throwing stuff. 
So that's about it. I don't know what I was missing there, but I'm sure there's a little bit more uh, opportunity for hotkeying on the Super Nintendo version. No, I think you I think you hit it pretty well. I mean, uh, with the Super Nintendo controller, it's good to hear your perspective from playing it on um, uh, the Game Boy Advance. But uh, it seems like you've got sort of the upper you're using sort of the upper trigger keys to pick up things and throw them. Um, whereas on Super Nintendo, we're pretty much using our uh, X and Y buttons. Um, uh, instead to do those uh, sort of uh, maneuvers, right? Okay. Right, Stephen? Yeah, were the, were the L and R buttons used at all? I don't even remember. I don't I don't think so. I know I didn't yeah, use them. I uh, yeah, the shoulder buttons aren't really used yeah, on the yeah. Super Nintendo controller, yeah, which I you think know, so. makes a lot of sense. But with the Game Boy Advance, it seems that... Um, it only has a two-face button, so yeah, yeah, they had to use the triggers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I sort of found the controls on this game a little bit difficult at times. I I I feel like you know with as far as proximity of enemies, sometimes um, the the box would sort of go forward a little too much. I was a little closer, or I was further away uh, from enemies sometimes, and, and I noticed this a lot when I was not so much using my sword because it had a reach on it, but a lot of times when I was using the hammer weapon, um, I, I felt like um, you know I, I couldn't get close enough or I was too far away, especially in a certain boss battle. I think you guys know which one I'm talking about. The, uh, uh, the, the scorpion type monster with the, the mask on, you have to break it with the hammer. Um, I had a little bit of difficulty with that battle for, for some reason. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't recall having any trouble with that one. But yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Sean had, had some trouble. I don't know. No, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't have any problems with the hammer actually. Um, I'm trying to think, and that that boss, the Helmosaur King, was kind of a cool one for me. That was one of my favorites. Yeah, so. yeah. always been one of my favorites too. Yeah, it's a cool battle, a neat battle. Um, um, but you talk about like the the hit detection. I had a, I don't know why the first time I fought um, Blind, the boss of uh, the fourth dungeon. Is that the one that you uh, put the girl? That yeah, you, you lead into the light. Okay. Yeah, he yeah, turns yeah. on that guy. Uh-huh. You have to strike him in the head. And the first time I fought him, I had a really hard time hitting him. Uh, I oh, just okay. couldn't get a sense for the hitbox. But then actually ended up dying in, in that fight and uh, went back uh, the second time and didn't have any trouble at all, really. So I'm not really sure what happened there. But yeah. Yeah, I think the I think the controls are mapped out pretty well. Um, you know, like um, like Sean had mentioned, you know, you got one button for the sword. Um, you know, you've got, you've got buttons to, um, use, uh, your special items. You've got buttons to pick up and throw, um, you know, and then you've got, you know, your menu that you pull up and use. Um, so, which is, I think, start button on, um, Super Nintendo, um, which, you know, it's, it's really standard. It's, it's good. It's standard. A little more, a little more implemented since the, um, the, uh, Nintendo version where you're just... You know, you've got two buttons. You get your A and B for your special, one for your special, and one for your sword. So, um, I think the controls, all in all, are really good for the game. Um, mm-hmm. I one of the um, kind of gameplay mechanics um, is the spinning sword, which is which is which is something new um, in the series and something that I really liked a lot and helped out a lot in a lot of battles. Did you guys um, use that quite a lot or? Not well, it's interesting. Yeah, I didn't use it I almost. I wouldn't say not at all, but I rarely found any use for it. 
Uh, were you using it when you were getting crowded? or Because it does, like, it swings around your whole body. Is it effective mm -hmm. for crowd control, like, when you're getting attacked from multiple sides? Like, I don't know. I just never used it, really. Yeah. I mean, I'll let Steven kind of take that and, and talk about Did you use it a lot? Or? Uh, no, actually. I, I forgot it was there most of the time. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't really use it very much at all. I used it in a lot of boss battles. I didn't use it for, like you said, for like crowd control, um, sort of one-on-one or, or crowd battles with, you know, just regular enemies. Most of the time that I was using it was uh, during boss battles. I know, um, Sean, you'd mentioned you had a little bit of an issue with the um, the guy that kind of bounces around. Um, I, I can't, is it the third dungeon guy, the one that knocks you off the platform? Knocks oh, you down the floor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I, I was using that a lot just because it, it has a kind of a sweeping circular area. And so if you have something like that, sometimes it's a little easier um, to to connect a hit um, when you when you have like a larger radius. And so I used it thin and then I used it in uh, uh, Turtle Rock, uh, the boss at the end of Turtle Rock after his uh, uh, during his second phase where he sort of flies around, you know, and you have to hit that middle section. Um, that was a, a really nice place to use that weapon. So, um, anything else you guys want to say about the controls, or do you want to move on to the weapons? I'm good. We could. Uh, uh, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. It's it's pretty standard, like you said. It's not really too much to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll move on and uh, talk a little bit about the weapons and the items that you can uh, pick up in the game. Um, and anyone want to start on that? Well, um, let's see. I'll I'll just start I'll just start yeah. off with the main weapon in the game. Of course, is the um, is the sword, and um, it, there's like normal Zelda games. Pretty much, um, you'll have a, your sword, and you can upgrade the sword throughout the game by picking up different swords. I know in the first game, it's like your your first sword, you get the white sword, and then later on, um, you're able to pick up the master sword. Um, this game is a little different in that you, you pick up the Master Sword sort of early in the game, um, after your third dungeon, and there are no other swords to pick up throughout. Um, you basically just have um, upgrades done to your current sword, right? You've got the... Um, yeah, the Tempered Sword. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the Golden Sword. Right, right. And uh, that strengthens your sword and helps you out quite a bit as you move through the, uh, the tougher dungeons in the game. Um, as far as items are concerned, uh, this game is um, similar to other Zelda games in that um, there's usually one main item per dungeon um, that you pick up. And uh, as a result, um, the game does a really cool job of, um, in, in my opinion, sort of um, using the pickups for each dungeon um as a means for the for the boss fights and the aid in the boss fights. Yeah, uh, yeah, I really like that. Like we talked about Helmosaur, and you have to use the mm -hmm. hammer to break his mask. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think in the Swamp Palace, you have to use the hook shot to That's pull right. those. Uh, I don't even know what they are, but those. <laughs> sort of like a big jellyfish with this yeah, little. Yeah, with like these little... cotton ball looking things <laughs> yeah, on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those are two of my favorite boss fights in the game, and they yeah, use the items very effectively for those fights. Yeah, and and the moth boss, I know that you can you can beat him without using the fire, but I think the fire does quite a bit more damage than the regular sword does. So you can definitely take him down a lot quicker. Um, yeah. And you actually have to have the fire rod to enter 
that last part of the uh, the forest, right. which yeah. is which is nice. Um, probably the the oddest battle, I guess, is the Turtle Rock battle, where you have to use the fire rod and the ice rod. Um, and if you don't have the ice rod, I guess you're just out of luck. <laughs> yeah, because the ice rod isn't, you don't find that in a dungeon. It's just in right. some random cave out in the environment. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, a lot of, I guess it's easy to miss that. Right, right. I think you get a few clues from some of the NPCs that tell you yeah, there's the something guys. in a cave near the yeah. lake to the, um, to the east. Right, so, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but, um, yeah, just some really cool upgrades. Like you mentioned, the hook shot. Um, is a really neat upgrade. Probably one of my favorite upgrades in the game. Favorite weapons. Um, uh, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I used it a lot in dungeons when you're on um, like the sort of floating platforms or you have to run by uh, the, the fireballs that kind of swing around. If you throw the hook shot and the fire hits you, it won't hurt you. It'll just kind of go right through you. Oh, uh, that's that. a good cheat. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice little cheat to use in the game. Um, did you guys have any favorite weapons or items in the game that you like to use quite a bit? Fairy bottles all day, baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bottles are awesome. <laughs> yeah, I got all four bottles and I found that. I I mentioned this a few times on the forum that I was noticing a pattern of, you know, if if you go into a boss with, with no healing items ready, it's it's a headache and it can be really frustrating and... But if you just, you know, uh, bite your lip and get out of the dungeon and go farm some fairies and then go back in, it's mm -hmm. a cakewalk. And I use the word negligible or trivial or, or something, but mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to say that, like, it breaks the game. But, right. it, 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 you know, you worked to stock up on your items. You, first of all, you had to find all, all there are four. Mm. So, I mean, if, even if you had one or two, you would be out of benefit. I ended up getting all four. Mm -hmm. So, and you know what's funny? Every time I said like, "Oh, I'm gonna go farm some fairies and go back into the dungeon," I most of the time ended up not needing them because I would just, um, like I said on the forum, having those healing items just kind of takes the edge off, and you mm -hmm. you get less like tensed up when you know you got all these fairies in your pocket. So it's yeah, it's it's a psychological thing, I think, but. Yeah. Even on uh, on Ganon, I was all stocked up, and you know, by the time I beat him, I only lost like a couple hearts. He turned out to be really easy. So did you? Um, so did you use basically just fairy Sean, or um, were you were you getting um, were you buying any sort of pots or anything like that as well? You know what? I didn't go for any potions because I mm -hmm. found that you know fairies can be found anywhere. You mm -hmm. know, yep. and any any shrub that you can slash, you can just go and and slash it over and over till a fairy pops out. Do that four times. I mean, the longest that ever took me to get four fairies took like ten minutes. Oh, okay. And it, and it was worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and it, and they're free. So yeah. If if anyone's looking to farm fairies, um, in the dark world. And the pyramid that you come down from at the beginning of the Dark World, there's a tree to the left-hand side. And if you super run into that tree, a fairy will pop out every time. So oh, that's I don't, cool. I yeah, I don't know if any, that, anybody knew that. But uh, no. just a good little good little hint, rule of thumb. I, I, I farmed there quite a bit. Um, so, um, so, yeah. So, that, yeah, the bottles were actually a really cool um, item. Any Anything for you, um, uh, Stephen, that you... Um, that you, any weapons that you used a lot or, you know, kind of kept, uh, 
um, you know, as your special weapon each uh, throughout the game? Yeah, pr- probably the the hook shot most often. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was just a very useful item to have on hand. Um, also, also kept the boomerang in my hand most of the time, even though. Once you get so far in the game, the boomerang isn't very useful, but I just still mm-hmm. just thought it was fun to throw it for no reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the boomerang's a little bit useful when you have the um, uh, the orange and blue sort of color-changing areas, uh, if you know what I'm talking about, uh, the blocks that move oh, up yeah, and down. Yeah. You can use the boomerang for that quite a bit. Um, yeah. I was kind of like you. I use the hook shot quite a lot because the, um, the, the sort of in the dungeons, the little blue and um, red jellyfish-looking things that would... Uh, uh, light up and uh, electrocute you if you hit them oh, with your sword. Right. Uh, you could actually use the hook shot to take those out uh, without yeah. worrying yeah, about would, having to take any damage. Right. I would do the same thing with those. All right. You know what else was really good? Did you guys get the Bombos medallion? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I leaned on that a lot towards the end of the game because the, the um, I want to say Turtle, yeah, definitely Turtle Rock and Ganon's Tower. There are some rooms in there that are just insanity, and mm-hmm. you'll it's you're better off a lot of times just walking in the door and and hitting the bombos and killing everything, because yeah. uh, it just gets really hairy right away. So I, I I was using that a lot towards the end of the end of the game, especially. Yeah, I did too, Sean. Uh, like um, I, I know exactly which rooms you're talking about. It's the the rooms with the, conve- the crazy conveyor belts, yep, statues yep. with the eyeballs on them, I, you, and ice on the floor yep. and everything, and yep. spike traps and yeah, yeah. It, it was and it, it was the part where you had to defeat all the enemies in the room to actually open up the doors. Right. So if, if you did that, you could just you know it, when you enter the room, you do that and you can just run right through. Yeah, I definitely use that. And and surprisingly, once you've once you've got the half magic. Um, it doesn't take up all that much uh, magic. Yeah, you know? I never got the magic meter upgrade. I, I did, you know, I finished the game without it. I only got in trouble with it once, and that was mm-hmm. to, um, I forget if it was Turtle Rock or Ganon's Tower, the, the part where you have to light the four, uh, the four lantern or torches or whatever yeah the brazers or whatever yeah yeah with the with the thing spinning around and i actually i didn't have any magic there i had to revert to my save and go through about half the dungeon again to make make sure i got to that room with full magic but that was the only time it burned me to not get the uh magic bar upgrade yeah And, and the good thing about it i know you were talking about um how you would go back out to farm fairies and um how there would be sort of like when you would come back in it would be um almost you know you you would kind of do, do the area and it not like lose a lot of life i think going through it and unlocking all the doors getting everything you need with the keys um which is a good thing about the game once you get a big key in a dungeon or you get the keys in a dungeon or unlock a door they stay unlocked it's not like when you go out everything resets right. so so you can go out and you know go through an area you, you're already familiar with it and uh you know, kind of get to the end a little bit easier, which is which is something I really liked about the game. Um, I found myself doing that a few times, having to go back out and, like you said, farm fairies or, uh, you know, buy magic potions or something like that uh, when I would get into a more difficult area. So, cool. Well, while we're talking about areas and dungeons, do we have any that were any of your favorites that um, were in the game? Yeah, I always really liked um, the very first one, actually, um the Eastern Palace. Okay. And also the first two in the Dark World, the 
uh, Dark Palace and the Swamp Palace, I think, were my most favorite ones. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Sean? Uh, you know what? The Eastern Palace was pretty cool. I am thinking Misery Mire just because mm-hmm. I got through it so quickly and I thought the boss was one of the coolest bosses. So I I'm, I wouldn't say I'm tr- I was trying to speed run this game, but I was trying to, again, only play it on... Yeah, I was trying to be efficient. I was using a walkthrough. I was only playing it on my lunch at, and coffee breaks at work, and I was trying to finish it before we recorded this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, when, the one day I got through, like... I think I got through three dungeons in one day and Misery Mire was my last one and I did it in 10 minutes and I was like, wow, that was awesome. And the boss was really uh, cool. And I, I after that, I did also like as frantic and crazy as they were, Turtle Rock and mm-hmm. Ganon's Tower were really good. There was one I'm looking at. Um, I'm looking at a gallery right here. I remember one one of the dungeons was kind of giving me trouble even with the walkthrough, but I can't remember which one it was. Uh, but I guess that's a good, I'm, I'm more remembering the ones I liked than this one that gave me fits. So I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Let me just, let me just say that if you played a uh, turtle rock without a walkthrough, it probably wouldn't be your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would imagine so that <laughs> it seems like a, a mess, especially with all the moving platforms and having to use yeah. the, the, the magic and right. Yeah. 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 I, I, I definitely, um, I agree, and uh, I, I didn't use a walkthrough, but I did like Turtle Rock. I, I do like that dungeon for whatever reason. It was the one I got stuck on uh, for the longest. Um, I think I yeah, I put the game down for like two weeks because of that dungeon. I was so frustrated with it, but uh, again, it was one of those things where I went back to it. I'd already had the big key. I'd already gotten the, the chest in there, and once I had that and kind of knew the pattern and what I needed to do... Um, you know, um, it was it was pretty clear and smooth sailing from that. But uh, um, probably the, one of the most aggravating rooms is in Turtle Rock, which is the one with the uh, where the lights are out and you're on the platform that goes around. And you've got the spinning uh, uh, the spinning fireballs that rotate as you're doing that. But um, as I mentioned before, that's where I use my hook shot to my advantage. And just when when those would get near me, I would throw the hook shot and they would just sort of pass right through me, which is yeah. uh, I I'm think, it, and I wish I'd have known the hookshot trick because I think in that room I just took a lot of damage and just kind of ate it and kind of kamikaze my way yeah. to the door. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's definitely a room of trial and error where you have to, you know, kind of see the room and know when to sort of go up and down to reach the, uh, first of all, the platform that opens the door and then secondly, the platform that where you can exit, you know. Right. So, so yeah. But uh, that was probably one of my favorites. My least favorite dungeon has to be the Ice Palace. I hate that dungeon. Um, and uh, I actually did have to consult a walkthrough for that dungeon to sort of uh, figure out um, how to get to the boss. Um, I, I hate the ice floors, the sliding, the the things that fly at you and the, the penguin sort of uh, um, creatures that sort of fly at you and slide across the ground. Those are annoying, but... Um, once again, an enemy that you can use the hook shot on. So I, I use that quite to my advantage for that. Uh, I kind of like that dungeon. It, it wasn't my favorite, but uh, it, it had a, kind of a vibe. It reminded me of the uh, original Zelda on the NES for some mm-hmm. reason. Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe because it was all blue or something. I don't know. But yeah. 
Um, I think my least favorite was um, what's it called? Oh, the Skull Woods. Actually. Oh yeah, that's the one with the moth at the end, correct? Right. Yeah. Because yeah. you know you you have to go into the forest and back into the dungeon so many times, and it gets kind of confusing. And then those hands would try to grab you and pull you out. Uh, the hand that dropped from the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty pretty annoying, but yeah, that, that's always been my least favorite. I think. I actually like that dungeon, but I don't like the boss battle. The boss battle is probably my least favorite in the game. Um, just just because. And I know, I think, Stephen, maybe it was you that said that that battle wasn't that bad, or you didn't think it was that bad. But just, just being on that floor and the ice and then the, um, you know, the spikes and stuff that are moving around and then you're fighting the moth and everything, it's just uh, just a little too much for me. It, just, it, it was just very, um, how did I describe that battle? Just very sort of erratic. Uh, I guess, just all over the place. Uh, and I, I had actually forgotten about the floor moving and everything when I made that comment. I actually uh, went back and watched a YouTube video of all the boss fights just to refresh my memory, and then yeah. I saw it, and I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, I, I've played this game so much over the years since I was a kid, and I think I just... Um, I, don't, I don't really have much trouble with any of it because I've played it so much. It's just like second nature to play through this game for me now. But Yeah. Um, yeah, I can totally see somebody, you know, walking into that room and the floor starts moving and you're falling into the spikes and the the moth thing is shooting at you. Yeah, I can totally see it being a being a pain for a lot of people. Right. I think the funniest thing for me was I haven't played this game since I was a kid, uh, since it came out, and I remembered going into the woods. I remembered that battle and I remember how annoying that battle was. When I was a kid, that that's how bad it was for me. Just, it was just implanted in my memory that, that this was going to be awful, you know. So maybe that had a little to do with it, but at the same time, um, yeah, just one of, one of my least favorite battles. And um, I, I will say this: um, one of the things I really like about Link to the Past is the um, uh, how how different the dungeons are and how they take on these sort of characteristics like you were mentioning like even though i don't like the ice palace um i i still think it's cool because you know the floors are slick um you know the the walls look crystallized and um you know it really embodies what an ice palace would be right um yeah yeah and and so same thing for like misery mire um you know you know the enemies sort of uh, relate well uh, to the different towers uh and the different dungeons which is you know, one of the things that, that I really like about this game. Um, so we've spoken a little about the bosses, um, and I wanted to move on and talk a little bit about the enemies. Uh, I, I should mention that um, um, it, this is a good group to be discussing this game because um, for Steven, as, as Steven mentioned, he's played this game multiple, multiple times. Um, I played this game when I was younger, and this is my second playthrough it, uh, through now when I'm older. Uh, so kind of reflecting back on it. And then, Sean, this is your first go, right? Yeah, this is uh, the first time I've ever played this game and only the second Zelda game that I've played to completion so far, the other one being The Wind Waker. So I have a totally non-nostalgic uh, viewpoint of this game, which <laughs> may be controversial later on in this conversation, but I'm trying my best to be civil. No, no, and uh, <laughs> no, you, I mean everyone has their own opinion, and so you know we look forward to hearing uh, you know kind of your final thoughts on the game as well. So, um, 
And I know something that you mentioned, you know, we're kind of getting into discussing the enemies. And one of the things that you, um, I noticed you mentioned on the, the forums was um, sort of the enemies in the game. And I think you were mentioning sort of the outworld enemies on the game, not necessarily the dungeon enemies. And uh, kind of mentioning something about them not having much of a purpose in the game. Yeah, to I, I, what I was trying to say was that for a game like this, especially, again, I'm just playing with a walkthrough. So I'm just basically, you know, crossing things off a checklist. Go here, talk to this guy, get this item, get this key, go there, do that. You know, so it's not it's the where I kind of drew the line was that it this isn't an RPG. So there's no benefit to killing an enemy. You don't level mm -hmm. up, you don't get XP, nothing right. happens. If, if anything, maybe you're farming rupees or you need some hearts, but you, you, that's not, even killing enemies is not the best way to do that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, I just felt the enemies were kind of an annoyance. Now, there were certain ones that were like fun to kind of hunt down and kill. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of them had like cool mechanics. I liked the, <laughs> as annoying as they were, the Stalfos, which are the skeletons that jump away from you when you try to hit them. Ugh. Like as much as I hate them, it's just kind of funny. Like their, their animation was really funny and they're like, no, nah, you can't get me. You know, like I, I liked, um, each enemy had its own like unique challenge. Uh -huh. it, one of the things I didn't like, especially were the enemies that you couldn't kill. Like, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of like, not only like the blade traps and spike traps, but like this, this thing, the Gibo, which is that red, like blob that just kind of bounces around the rooms and um you can't do anything about it you know okay yeah. or um there's a couple other ones yeah. but yeah that's 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 all i was saying was that like you you could run through the whole game and basically avoid all the enemies except for okay in dungeons there's rooms that you got to kill all the enemies to open the room but mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying like in the overall right. world you could just run around and avoid them and sometimes it's like all right come on get out of my way i gotta go talk to this guy and get this thing you know what i mean like yeah and i think a lot of people would agree with that statement i, I mean uh, I mean, I agree with that statement, and, and if you watch people who actually play the game and speedrun the game, I mean, you know, there's, you know, once they get the dash, they're using the dash the entire time and just, you know, just dashing through enemies as quick as they can to get from point A to point B, um, or from dungeon to dungeon. So, I mean, I, I absolutely, you know, know what you're saying and, you know, agree, and that's... That's sort of how Zelda games are set up, you know, from the the original ones the same way. You know, there's there's not a lot of purpose in the outworld enemies except to be sort of an obstacle um, and um, a threat in getting to the next area, right? Yep. Yeah, I think think you have to maybe think of it more like a game like Mario, where there's it's just enemies that are in your way and you have to get around them or go through them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're just there as an obstacle uh, for the challenge of it. Um, it's actually, yeah. you know, you brought up Wind Waker. Um, it's actually kind of a, one of the problems I had with Wind Waker was you would, um, when you were sailing, there weren't that many enemies around. So um, it was kind of boring just to sail from one island to another. Um, actually, when I was traveling in A Link to the Past, I actually enjoyed, you know, uh, killing the enemies that were in, in my way. Mm -hmm. and there's that's always fair. A, yeah that's totally fair and and i'm not like 
you know, I wouldn't have designed the game in any other like different way. You know what right. I mean? It's just it's oh. just my play style and my preference, the way I played it. It's it's more like I'm playing this game as a task list, you know, and literally just walking through it. Um, so it's like, oh, enemies. OK, here we go. Like, get get out of my way, you know, like. But it's it's totally a, a thing. It's it's a problem with me and not the games. I guess that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, it's, it's a valid point. I, I totally see what you're saying. Um, yeah, you, know, you might like yeah. Zelda too because that that game you actually get experience points for killing enemies. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's one you should try. All right. Yeah, has a little more RPG element to it for yeah. sure. All right. Any favorite? Um, I know we were talking about you know just sort of the. Um, you know the outland characters. We talked a little about the dungeon characters, but any favorite bosses that uh, you guys in, in particularly enjoyed? You know, this is hard. I, I'm I've looked at the, the I've looked at a list, and I'm looking at it right now of bosses, and I think it's it's hard to, other than Maldorm, which is the the thing that knocks you off the platform. Uh-huh. I liked all the bosses. Mm-hmm. I didn't dislike any of them, and I, I didn't find any. Um, issues, and I, I, I think, again, I, I just keep harping back to this pattern that I had of, wow, this boss is, you know, this boss is total crap. I can't believe this, and then just, you know, regrouping and going back in, and wow, that boss was really cool, like Mothula, like. Um, you know, this is just mayhem. How could they design a boss like this? You go in again and you realize you can hit it on top of the head with a hammer and it goes down in like three hits. You know what I mean? So it's like, once you figure out what to do or just uh, with Ganon, it was just learning not to panic and just like kind of relaxing and just letting him do his thing and not being aggressive and, you know, learning how to move and everything. Uh-huh. And the time I beat Ganon was like really fun, and like you know, I just kind of cruised through it. So it's it's hard to pick. Like every time I look at the list, I thought, "Oh wait, that one was really cool." No, wait, that one was really cool. But um, like I said, I really liked uh, Vitrius, which was the the eyeball with many smaller eyeballs <laughs> that um, kind of comes at you. That was in Misery Mire, which I was saying was one of my favorite dungeons. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a cool one. Like the, the four eyeballs come at you and you have to slash him while he's shooting, uh, lightning at you. And then, then at the end he comes at you, but you can just wail him with arrows. So like, again, if you kind of know what to do, you just, you can take him down and it's pretty cool. So that was my favorite, I think. Yeah, it seems like it's a common thread in any Zelda game that anything that has eyes or especially is cycloptic, you always use arrows, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess so. I'm still learning my my Zelda tricks, but yeah, that worked for me there. <laughs> Steven, you could probably speak yeah. more to that than any of us. I'm sure you've played more of the Zelda games than we have. Yeah, that, that seems like a common thing, or either that or... Uh... I think, I think some of the 3D ones have a slingshot. And, okay. Uh, that works. Uh, I, th- I think you use that sometimes. But as far as the bosses, um, I pretty much agree with what Sean said. I mean, I, the only one I thought was kind of frustrating and annoying was uh, Moldorm. The others, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I like them all. Um, I think my favorites were probably the first two and the uh, the first two in the light world and then the first two in the uh, dark world, mm-hmm. which was... Um, Let's see the one from the Eastern Palace where the the knights are jumping around. You have to shoot them with right. arrows. Uh-huh. 
and then the uh, one after that were the the sandworms. sandworm things yeah. were jumping out of the ground. And and I think about it, I don't really feel like there's anything too special about those boss fights, and maybe it's just like nostalgia because mm-hmm. I was very young when I first played this game, and maybe that's about as far as I made it for a while, and uh, I just kind of remember fighting those. Um, but yeah, then then the first two in the Dark World, we kind of already talked about them, Helmosaur and uh, the uh, I don't know the name of the other one, but the one you use the hook shot on, and they make very good yeah. use of the items from those dungeons, and they're just fun to fight. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I I, I think all the boss battles are just really cool and really special. I think they put a lot of time, a lot of thought. Um, love the integration, as we mentioned before, of the um, the weapons that you pick up in the dungeons. Um, probably one of my favorites was probably the um, uh, the hookshot boss, the one you're uh, picking like the uh, cotton ball looking creatures off yeah. of, and then it, and then uh, after you pull all of them off, it goes up in the air and splashes down in the water and just. You know, just runs rampant all over the place, and you have to hit it with your sword. It's a lot of fun. Uh, just a really neat battle, and um, I, I can't really, except for the moth um, one that I, I still don't like, um, I can't really think of any battle, um, uh, any boss battle that I, I really detested in the game. I thought they were all um, just a lot of fun, and just, uh, just, just something else that really makes this game special. Just a lot of different pieces. Uh, to that um so um how about the music uh talk a little bit about the music in the game i know there's some uh really good back and forth discussion uh between you steven and jerry um about the music in the game um and you want to tell us a little bit about some of the things you guys were talking about and uh maybe anything you want to add as far as the music is concerned just a couple things i noticed while i was playing is that the um the death mountain theme it just reminded me a lot of the uh imperial march theme from star wars and uh i don't know if that was in kind of intentional or if the koji kondo the composer for this game he, maybe he drew inspiration from that um i don't know maybe it's just a coincidence uh i also noticed the ending theme is very reminiscent of a theme from the final the final fantasy games uh, i know it was in the first one and the fourth one i'm not sure if it was in any others but um yeah i mean it's almost there's a certain section of it that's almost note for note and it's just it almost sounds like a ripoff uh but uh i, I don't know uh, if anybody else noticed those uh, similarities no, no. I, I think music for me the I, I love music in a game and i can appreciate music um a lot of times i'm not going to pick up on music from one game to the next and it, it's really cool that um you know you and jerry were able to um you know pick up on things like that and it made for a really good it's or a really interesting conversation on the forums. Um, um, I, I do like the music in this game. It, it's it's really it's really good. Um, the, you know the dungeon, the dungeon music's kind of um, kind of skittish. It gives you uh, a sense of uh, uh, tenseness, if you will. Uh, when you're playing, you know, the yeah, very very ominous sound. Right, right, and you know, it really really fits well. It seems like the music really fits well with the game and and what they're trying to accomplish. Sean, did you have any thoughts on the music or anything you liked in particular or disliked? There was nothing I disliked. I did catch the Imperial March similarities on the Death Mountain thing. That that's a good. That's a really good catch there. Um, I didn't. I think some people noted on the forum that uh, some of the 
more intense dungeon music gets a little grating after a while after repeating so many times mm-hmm. and uh, but again I'm playing I was playing in short spurts I was using headphones I have a um uh headphone adapter for my Game Boy Advance SP why on earth that was designed without a headphone jack the world will never know but um <laughs> I did I do have an adapter and I listen to this music with headphones I guess hearing the kind of souped up version of the Hyrule Field overworld theme made it worth any other not so great music, you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. even even someone like me who's not a big Zelda fan, I mean, how could you not get pumped by that by the Hyrule Field, the theme? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the the series has been notorious for having just, you know, really solid music and you know, I, I think this game is, you know, no exception to that. And, you know, uh, I enjoyed anything about everything about it. Although, like I said, you know, typically with me, um, music just for me just doesn't stand out. I guess I'm just when I'm playing a game, I'm so intense until I'm so intense about what I'm doing that I'm not really thinking about the music. And probably that's why the dungeon music um, probably um, <laughs> being so intense probably resonated with me the most. Um, but one thing I, I will talk about, it's not necessarily music, but sound, is the um, the, the low-life sound. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think you can get around not talking about that and how annoying that is. Uh, it, it, it might be one of the most annoying things um, of any game I've ever played. It's loud, it's boisterous, uh, it makes you just want to throw your controller and you're just searching for hearts and you're just like oh man i hope i find a heart sooner i'm just gonna go just just make it stop (laughs) exactly (laughs) you know what i think if they had done if they had an alarm like that but only played it at like um maybe one half or one quarter of the iterations that it actually does like imagine if instead of if it was just going brent brent you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Or, or even like half half of that, it would right. be fine. But as it stands, it, it, it rivals like Baby Mario and Yoshi's Island for the most annoying sound effect ever. <laughs> but I, I, I think it's worth noting that in the Game Boy Advance version, there's some of the... Um, the voice sound effects of Link, like when he falls down a pit, I and I, oh, I understand yeah. that they took them from uh, Ocarina of Time. So when he falls down a pit, you get the same that 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 you would get in that game, uh, kind of dubbed into the Game Boy Advance port of this game. No, I didn't realize that. D- doesn't it uh, do it when he when he slashes too? Yeah, to he he does all those you know like yeah. all those cute little grunts and you know yells that he does are all kind of <laughs> dubbed into the game. It's pretty cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, we just we kind of get a uh, a falling sound, which is kind of which is kind of uh, a funny sound and kind of a neat part of the game. Um, <clears throat> let's let's talk a little about the ending um, as far as the last battle with Ganon. Um, worthy battle. Too difficult, not difficult enough. How does it fall uh, as far uh, in terms of you know with with a lot of other games that you guys play um, in terms of difficulty? I don't think it's that difficult once you know how to beat him. Um, for me, the most annoying part was I, I would keep getting knocked off uh, the ledge yes. and fall, and then you have to 
if that happens, you have to go back and restart the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that very frustrating. But, uh, yeah, like, like Sean said, you know, he went back on his second try and had no trouble with it. And just like once you know what to do against him, it's it's not too difficult. Yeah, I was using the um, – I'd started using the lanterns just to sort of conserve magic just in case I needed it uh, to light the um, – you know, in that phase where you have to light the uh, the brazers. Um, and um, I, I found that I would have to get too close to light them. So running along the bottom was a horrible idea because he would always oh, yeah. do he would always do that uh, he would fire that like flaming bat at you and if that hit you and you were too close to the edge you're just gonna fall off so I I know I fell off three times while my kids are sitting there watching me play this game and <laughs> did you get audio of that I wish I would have because um, I was like really like you know it was my my, my terrifying gamer persona came out where i was just getting mad you know and then of course my sweet six-year-old daughter says it's okay daddy you're good enough you'll get it next time you know and it just makes me feel horrible you know as a gamer i'm, I'm passing on these horrible horrible traits you know of you know getting ready to throw controllers but you know it's funny that my kids uh uh keep me kind of level-headed which is sort of nice having them around when i'm playing uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was one of the most frustrating parts of the fight was lighting those. And finally I just started using the wand, which, you know, I could hit from a distance and light them really quick and it just, you know, it made it much better. How about with you, Steven? How would you rank this sort of final fight? Honestly, I'd probably say out of all the boss fights in the game, it's probably one of my least favorites really. Okay. I mean, I don't think it's bad, but I just, um, I don't know. It, it, I guess it doesn't really have a, a good hook to it like mm-hmm. a lot of the others do. It, it's actually kind of reminiscent of the final boss in the original Zelda. I think that's mm-hmm. maybe what they were going for. But, um, yeah, right. not, not really one of my favorites. Right. It was, um, yeah, you could see where they were trying to bring that back. You know, you, you hit Ganon with the Master Sword, and then you have to hit him with the Silver Arrows, right, to yeah. uh, to win the game. And that's... That was sort of the thing they were trying to bring back, which was nice, you know, that they, you know, that they thought to do that. And, and so anyone who had played the original game knew to use the, uh, you know, knew that when he froze that you had to use the silver arrow. So, you know, just a really good callback or allusion to the original game, I thought. But I, I kind of agree with you. It wasn't, um, it, you know, it wasn't an overly difficult fight. It was, it was, it was a long fight, right? I mean, it was, you know you know of of all the of all the creatures he you know definitely took the most hits and there were definitely um uh three three or four phases that you had to to get through to defeat him so um th- that was kind of nice but i i, I don't know I, I maybe i would have liked to seen a, a little more use of all the items you know in in the different stages if that makes sense yeah yeah that would have been cool yeah um because i, I feel like with, with all the other boss battles, there would always be sort of like um, an item in the dungeon that you basically, and, and not everyone, but that you basically had to use to um, you to defeat that boss. And I, and I think like some sort of culmination of all that would have been kind of a nice way to end it. Uh, but, yeah, just my opinion. I, I know I may get some flack for that. We, we, we may all get some flack for being anyway negative about this game. It's such a, <laughs> such a beloved title, right? That's true. It's um, really a sacred cow. <laughs> uh, I mean, no, this is one of my, um, one of my favorite games of all time. And, uh, 
but you know, I'm not gonna just not. I'm just not gonna ignore the flaws, or you know, it's not sure. even really a flaw. I just, I just think the boss battle uh, could have been better. Absolutely, the final boss fight. Absolutely, we'll, we'll forgive you for anything negative you said, Steve. <laughs> 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 in Sean's place, uh, he'll probably make hamburgers out of the sacred cow, I'm thinking, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It probably won't be that bad, but we'll, we'll kind of get to that. Um, and so, I guess the, um, the sort of the other thing I wanted to talk about um, was, um, um, Stephen, you had mentioned just, uh, just sort of maybe comparing and contrasting the other Zelda games in the series, uh, this being one of the 2D uh, games. Um, <clears throat> honestly, I know it, it's probably sounds pretty bad, but I've only played the original Zelda. I've played some of the second, never played it uh, to completion. I've played this game, and I've played Minish Cap, uh, which I've made it probably three quarters of the way through and and didn't finish. Um, and and Sean, you said you've only played really two to completion, but have you dabbled in any of the others? Uh, only the original when I was a kid, but I was never like serious about it. You know, right. I never, I had no idea ever what to do. Probably just ran around the first couple screens swinging the sword and that's about it. Right. Right. Okay. So Steven, you want to tell us a little bit or <laughs> <laughs> compare well, and contrast the, uh, the different yeah, Zelda well, titles? Well, well, like I said, this is my, not only one of my, uh, you know, favorite games of all time. This is my favorite Zelda game. Um, yeah, it's um, you know, I've I've been playing a lot of the two D Zelda games recently, and uh, I find it kind of hard. Like I I tried to play a little bit of Ocarina of Time on mm -hmm. the 3DS, mm -hmm. and it seemed very awkward uh, trying to do that transition from the two D gameplay to three D. Right. Um, maybe it's just something I have to get used to again because I have played it before, <laughs> but mm -hmm. um. Yeah, I guess um, as far as wanting to compare and contrast, I think uh, the main thing that might be worth talking about is uh, uh, comparing it to Wind Waker, which is what we played um, last year mm -hmm. for a community playthrough. Right. And uh, I don't know, did you play that one, Rich, when we played it? I did not. I did not. Yeah. I did not have it at the time. Because I know Sean played it. I'm kind of interested in hearing his take on that, comparing the two. Sure. Yeah, sure. It was, you know what, I... I kind of had, in the, in a way, a uh, very similar experience of, again, like saying this is not my most preferred style of game. I don't go out of my way to play this this kind of action adventure, um, try to figure out what to do next kind of game. And but I, I know that like when I was playing Wind Waker, I was seeing like the culmination of you know, like these iterations of gameplay that kind of started with A Link to the Past. And I know that, like, you know, if people look at, like, Ocarina of Time, which I haven't played, but they'll say, well, basically that was a 3D version of Link to the Past. And I would go so far as to say, well, so is Wind Waker, and I would guess that so is Twilight Princess, and so is Skyward Sword. Like, it's pretty much well known that these games just kind of that they're kind of just redoing Link to the Past and just iterating on the, the yeah, formula. They, they stick pretty closely to that uh, standard Zelda formula. Right. So it's it was kind of a learning experience to start with Wind Waker, which is 
not so much anymore. It's a it's a little bit more of a mainstream accepted game now. But for a while, it was like the black sheep of the the series. So to start with that one, which was kind of like a weird one, and and I'm not counting Majora's Mask because that's the that's something that doesn't go by the formula. But um, to go from that, and then now to go back to Link to the Past, um, it is kind of cool to see that it is kind of the same game and some of the you know the structure of the game and the the pacing and the flow um are are you know it kind of comes out of link to the past and i'm actually i'm actually really excited to play link between worlds which i picked up a copy of uh last year and it may have sat on the shelf forever but now i'm like a thousand times more likely to go and check it out knowing that it's like you know, if not a direct sequel, then like pretty much a follow up to this game. So yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking forward to really like. Ch- I I actually looked and looked at like some screenshots and videos of that, and I was like, whoa! It's like uh, now it's like a super souped up version of Link to the Past. It looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. I I just um recently played a Link Between Worlds myself. Uh, I wanted to go. I wanted to follow uh, a Link to the Past up with the sequel, and it's basically in a lot of ways just a, a remake of a link to the past i mean it's wow. very similar like the like having just played a link to the past you'll feel right at home playing that game because it's the same overworld map um the dungeons are pretty much all in the same locations although the layouts are different um it, it's yeah i think i think that's the that's the way to, to do it is to play a link to the past and then follow it up with a link between worlds i think that's the how you'll get the most enjoyment out of it yeah yeah, and it's it's a two D two D game as well, right? Yeah, it and you can kind of it is in two D, but you can kind of there's a sense of three D to it, right? Um, you know, um, uh, you can kind of you know how like uh, Link to the Past it because it, it's on a sixteen bit system and everything it moves like on a grid. Mm-hmm. You kind of tell how it's tiled. Mm-hmm. Uh, Link Between Worlds, it's there's more freedom of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not actually something I like more about right. uh, that game. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. Okay, okay, good deal. Um, you know, and, and sort of my thoughts. I mean, I'm um, as you as you guys know, I'm not a big fan of the '64. Um, but and, and a lot of that has to do with the the 3D aspect that the '64 tried to create. You know, in the Mario games in the Zelda games and, and things of that nature. And and maybe it's just nostalgia speaking for me, but to me, the Zelda series and the Metroid series will always be two D will always be two D games. I mean, that's just how um you know, that that's how I've always preferred those games, you know. Um and so anything that deviates from that never feels like a Metroid or a Zelda game to me. And, and that's, you know, that's sort of a personal thing, you know, it's, these are the games I grew up, you know, and I, and I loved, uh, growing up and just, you know, just because you put a skin on it or, you know, incorporate some themes or bosses that were in the other games, they just, I don't know, for me, they just never feel right. And I, you know, maybe I'm the only one on that. And, you know, I I just, I I just love the 2D feel of those games. just feel like they're kind of always meant for that. And that's why I started playing Minish Cap and, Actually, of what I played of that, I, I really, really enjoyed that game. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, I was, 
um, still very young when uh, Ocarina of Time came out, and I played that. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's even that game still has a nostalgia factor for me. So, right. Um, I guess you know uh, the 3D Zeldas don't feel too out of place for me. And uh, you know, I played like uh, Twilight Princess when it came out, and I thought that game was amazing. Yeah. Um, as far as 3D Zelda games, I think that's um, probably maybe one, the first one you should check out, in my opinion. Um, well, like you were talking about Metroid, um, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, I, I never really got behind the Metroid Prime games, and mm-hmm. and you know the two D ones are amazing, especially Super Metroid, of course. Yeah, I mean, I should definitely give the games a chance, and I, and I haven't given them a fair chance. I'll be honest, you know, um, you know, I, I'm I'm obviously being the uh, the old man in the rocking chair, yelling at kids to pull their pants up. Um, you know that that's probably what I'm being right now, but. You know, uh, I don't know. When you grow up with a certain feel and and the way things are, it just you know you just feel more at home playing those those sort of games. And I guess that's um, you know kind of how I stand on the two D and three D. So, but yeah, I would like to you know maybe give it a go sometime and hopefully, and I'm sure you know with the playthroughs and the games that we play, we'll we'll definitely see more Zelda games in the future popping up. So. Um, so um, we'll just kind of wrap it up. If you guys have any closing thoughts or anything else you'd like to add about this game. Yeah, I guess are we going to talk about the legacy of this game and is it the is it the greatest game of all time that we should all bow before and, and do Wayne's <laughs> World We're Not Worthy or is it just a really good Super Nintendo game? I think by that tone we all know your, uh, <laughs> your stance on that. Now, well, again, um, just just my my point, real quick. Again, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm just you know, I'm looking at this game objectively, and you guys sure. are wearing your nostalgia glasses, and I'm smart and you're stupid for that reason. It's not that, but what I'm saying is like, for me, like I'm just this is just another game to me, and I'm really glad I would have never played this if it were for weren't for the playthrough, just like Wind Waker. So again, I would have probably been a person who because I'm a video game collector, collect every Zelda game and never sure. have played them. So I'm, I'm again, just like with Wind Waker, very grateful that this came up for the playthrough. So I'd have like an incentive and a reason to play it. But like having said that, the people who say this is an all time greatest game, I can't, you know, whatever. Good, good on you. I can't argue with that. But as far as for me, like it's probably not like I think of five, SNES games that I think are better, like off the top of my head, but I, I really liked it, and I had a, again a unique, fun experience playing it the way I did. Like, okay, I'm going to do this dungeon next. Print out the walkthrough, take the walkthrough with me to the lounge, and sit down and grind through a dungeon in 15 minutes if I can. You know what I mean? Then go on my lunch break and do the next one. Like. That's that's how I played this game 100, well, I'm going to say 95%. And then yesterday morning, I, I beat Ganon sitting at my kitchen table. So it was kind of fun the way I was like, you know, kind of tasking through this game. So I have this, like, that, like, unique kind of perspective of it. Where I think a lot of people spend entire summers playing this game and... Going yeah. through that whole ritual of like, you know, ha- having your brother or your dad help you with it or the kids at school and, you know, 
what, how do I get that? How do I get this whistle that, you know, calls a bird to carry you around the world? I, I need that. How do you get that? You know what I mean? Like, whereas yeah. me, it was just like, okay, go here, talk to this guy, you know, chop down the, the bush or get the shovel or whatever. And then you got a warp whistle. Okay, done. Next thing. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, so it's a unique perspective that I guess I have on it, but without the nostalgia, I'm just saying, wow, this is really good. Like I can, I can yeah. appreciate what people say about the design of the game and everything else, but you know, it's, it's just like, it's another just NES classic for me. So. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I, I really think your point's extremely valid and what, what you're saying is valid. Um, I think, people like myself who kind of, you know, grew up, you know, as a kid playing this game. I mean, there was, there was nothing like this game that came out at the time when I was a kid. I mean, um, I mean, I, I understand nostalgia is a, is a bias, but also I, I think like not growing up or not playing that when you're younger, um, you know, there can be some bias built from that as well. Um, I think that this game, the original game was such a hit, you know, the, the original game. I mean, I remember the commercials. I remember when it came out. I remember everyone having those gold carts and flashing them around, you know, like they were real gold. Um, it, it was such a hit. And then Zelda 2 came out, which was pretty much, I mean, I, I know people defend that game, but... Quite honestly, like growing up around that time, that game was a flop. Um, and 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 what I mean by that is it it did not come from the same. It, it felt like a completely different game from the first one, and that's not what people were expecting. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I'm saying it did not meet expectation um, at that time um, as a Zelda game and what a Zelda game should be. You know, um, you know that top down action, but with this game, this being the third installment in the series, and it having that same top-down perspective, the same dungeon crawling, the same item grab in the dungeon, you know, with the, um, you know, except just not finding items, but opening the big chest and, like, little intricacies and extra things added to it. It had that same feel as that original game, and I think, you know, <laughs> of course I'm biased. I mean, I'll admit to it, you know. I have no problem admitting to it, but when when you add all that together i mean you know it it comes to a great game and playing it now and not playing it then i think you've played so many more games so many more modern games that are so much more advanced that it it's kind of hard to go back um if you will and uh play something that you know maybe um so many people have you know expressed so many accolades about you know, but it, yeah, and ha having said that, the game yeah. holds up extremely well. It's not yeah. like there's anything uh, archaic or old or you know, like broken yeah. about it. Uh, yeah, and and I'll say like I'll say this too. I mean, it's it's I love the game, but it's probably not my favorite game on the Super Nintendo, and you know, um, probably somewhere in the top, you know, ten, uh, maybe top five if I had to pull them out. But, uh, you know, still a great game and, you know, one I remember fondly. Probably, and my, my favorite in the Zelda series that I've played, but that's that's been a very limited amount as I've, as I've stated. So. Yeah, it's, um, 
I think the whole nostalgic point is very valid. I mean, like I said, this is a game I played at a very young age, and it's a very nostalgic game for me, maybe my most nostalgic game. And certainly that has uh, an impact on how I view it now. Um, but uh, saying that, um, and Sean, I understand the reasons why you, you use the walkthrough, but, and uh, I, I'm, uh, that's they're perfectly valid reasons. But I feel like this is a game that's really meant to be explored um, on your own. Um, it's, and, and like you said, you didn't have that experience uh, growing up to play it the way uh, me and Rich did. But uh, I, I think that's really how it's meant to be played. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel kinda, that, yeah, I feel like that, that maybe um, would, would have taken away from the experience for you somewhat. Yeah. I, t- I totally am fine with that assessment. Uh, the same thing happened with Eco and to a certain extent, the Wind Waker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's just yeah. my play style, my, my like immediate frustration and boredom when I don't know exactly what to do. You know, that's yeah. just the way I am. And maybe I wasn't that way when I was a kid, actually. I, I know I wasn't. I mentioned in the forum that my father and I used to play, you know, PC point and click adventure games that would take us months upon months. Yeah. to complete just figuring out the the puzzle so i know what it's like it's just it's you know we talked about it on the forum thread modern life and being you know where we are in our lives we a, a lot of us don't have time for that and i kind of don't yeah. right you know yeah. what i mean so yeah yeah no that's uh, you know very valid points all around I, I completely agree with both of you on that and you know and and just want to express something that that sean had mentioned before um uh, you know, I would never, you know, attack anyone for using a walkthrough. I, I do agree with Steven that, you know, this game is one that is sort of meant to be explored. Um, but within the, the time constraints of a month that we do these games, you know, if, if someone wants to use a walkthrough, that's that's perfectly fine. I, I consult them on some of the games that we play. Um, and, you know, anyone who's joining us, I would never make anyone feel bad about doing it. The, the point of the playthroughs and doing this on the site is for all of us to do something as a community and enjoy ourselves. And if using a playthrough makes the experience more enjoyable to any of you, you know, do it. I mean, you know, I'm none of us are going to knock you for doing that. And it's, you know, um, you know, it, it's just it's how you enjoy playing just with anything else in life. We all have different preferences of how we like to play or, you know, you know, do other things in our life. So, um, you know, by all means, you know, do what you need to do or, or do what you do, what you enjoy doing. Right. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I guess we'll wrap it up here. Um, any more thoughts on the game, guys, or anything else you want to say? I don't want to leave you without. Now that was about it for me. Just, you know, fun. And again, happy to cross another one off the list. Uh, I can't say it enough. Thanks, everybody. You know, I'm, I'm just grateful for the playthroughs for, like, kind of forcing me to play these games that I, I may not have been inspired to on my own. So it's awesome. Right. Right. Um, I'll just say this. I just want to say, um, again, thanks to all of us, um, all of you guys who joined us uh, for the playthrough this month. Thank you, Stephen, for hosting. It was a great first experience hosting. You did a fine job with the forums and everything. Um, as I mentioned, we've had five people beat the game so far, and I'm sure we'll be hearing from everyone on the forums um, throughout the rest of the month as they sort of wrap it up. We're sort of mid-month now and always record early. So if you didn't hear your name, 
sorry about that. Um, but, uh, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> so, again, thanks, guys. Appreciate you joining us. And uh, until next time. Welcome back to uh, the modern portion of the Playcast. Uh, I am joined by my good friend uh, Rich, as you know him, Single Banana. Hey guys. Yep. Odd. Modern <laughs> playthrough. You just said it threw me off. Yeah. It was, uh, I had to think about that. And <laughs> the one and only, the guy from Ipanema, Mr. Engineer Mike. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Floyd. It's an honor and a privilege to be joining you both. That is an overstatement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're happy to have we're happy to have Mike. If many of you who are on the website know Mike is uh, uh, Krabby's best customer up in PG, so uh, really happy to have him along. He actually doesn't just buy games all the time; he actually plays them. I try to <laughs> <laughs> when I can. Yeah. Anyways, um, so we played a, a very unusual game this month. Um, have you guys played a lot of visual novels before? I've played those like choose-your-own-adventure games, you know, like Heavy Rain or Beyond Two Souls or like The Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, that type of stuff. So I'm not new to anything where your outcomes determine your ending, but apparently 999 is nothing like, uh, let's say, The Walking Dead. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. I, this is, for me, this is probably one of the first games I've played like this. I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in the 80s, and I remember those choose-your-own-adventure books. Do you guys remember those? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I think yep, I had yep. one, like, called, like, Secret of the Ninja was what it was called. But sort of, like, choose-your-own-adventure, and they had different endings, and there was always, like, this sort of good ending as well. And so um, that's what 999 reminded me of. Um, since... This game, I've, I've played Wolf Among Us and uh, um, some of The Walking Dead, and, um, you know, um, I've really enjoyed this this sort of game. So, But this is probably the, the, the first one off the top of my head that I can think of. So, Now, have, have either of you two gentlemen played uh, the Professor Layton series? I I've have played not. A little bit. I've played a little of it. Uh, I started it... Um, I, I, it's the one about the diabolical box. I, I played a little of that one. Um, a lot different type of game. Oh, for sure. Um, it uh, it sort yeah, of had a similar feel for me, though, just in the sense of um, you know constantly solving puzzles to get to the next part of the game. Sure, sure. A little more constrained, I would say, than nine nine nine. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. Lo- a lot less freedom and and more. Nine 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 doesn't have as many logic type puzzles as. Professor Layton games do. Oh no, the Layton are very heavy on the logic puzzles, so yeah, mm. it's different than 999 that way. Yeah, are they, because sure. I mean, I've never played uh, any of the Layton games, um, are they more like like word puzzles or, or math number puzzles? It's all across the board. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 fun. It's just um, it's not like, but it's not like nine nine nine's like find this item and use this item with this other item kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The, those type of scenario sort of room puzzle things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas Professor Layton is just like, here's this puzzle, solve it. Like move these things around, or, uh, you know, you get these sort of clues like okay, where is this person's window in this building? And you'll get like certain clues to help you figure out uh, and deduct where that might be. So there's not as much, there's a little bit of searching for items and things like that, but there's nothing to this extent. So, so it's a lot what, different. What you're saying is Professor Layton is just like Lumosity. Is that a fair comparison? I, Never played I that, haven't so. played that either. <laughs> You don't you don't see those Lumosity commercials, you know. I, I don't have. It feels cable. like games, but I'm training my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sort of like I think you're. I think you're kind of hitting on that. Like, you know, the DS is really popular for, um, you know, all these kind of brain puzzles and things like that. You know, more adult type games, and I think Layton's more in that sense, but it has a, a really good story behind it. But, you know, you have to finish these puzzles to sort of progress uh, throughout the game and to move on to the next uh, part, as Mike was talking about, if that makes and sense. And that's where the similarity ends between the two games, really. Right, right, right. So That is that is probably a very fair comparison. Um, anyway, I, I really like those. Um, well, I'm not going to say I really like those because those games frustrate me. But the um, flash games that are just like escape the room, you know, mm-hmm. have you played oh. those before? I haven't. Th- no. Those are those are really obtuse. I mean, nine 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 makes sense in some way. Like you can <laughs> kind of figure out, like, oh yeah, this like it, this kind of works. You know, I have to I have to use this item with that item. But I mean, like these flash games don't make any sense. Anyway, we're probably making Bill very proud by going on a tangent within the first 10 minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, let me say this and just add this to it. Why? This is a, um, this sort of, I, I saw a special on this one time and I don't know if it was 60 minutes or, or something like that. And this was recently within the year. Um, there are actually these places in Japan that you can go to and you go with a group of people and they lock you in these rooms and they have these sort of puzzles and things that you have to figure out before you can go to the next room. And you, you try to escape. It's sort of like a, a maze. So they actually do real-life puzzles like this. That How cool would that be? It's cool. <laughs> yeah. I love what the Japanese yeah, come up with. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'll, I'll have to find that video so we can post that. But yeah. uh, but there is there are these like room escape things, and it's all timed. And that's what 999 really reminded me of. I, I wonder if... You know, one was a spinoff of the other, possibly. I Probably. Suppose. Yeah, very likely. Anyway, <laughs> not, yeah, we've uh, let, let's let's try to get back on course. Let's um, um, right. So, nine 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 incorporates that uh, you know, escape the room puzzle with visual novel like storytelling style, and I've never played a visual novel before. This was my first time doing anything like that what about uh, what about you guys I'd probably I'd probably say yeah I, I mean I I, th- I think so I think this is probably my first time playing a very um, heavily narrative game I mean a lot of RPGs are heavily focused on narrative but you know there's a there's a lot of free space to roam or you know world 
you know, lands that you can kind of traverse and go across to, you know, get a part of the story. This was a more confined narrative where you you just keep moving forward and forward. Uh, you, you do get to choose your path, but um, it's a very confined path, if you will. Yeah, but it's, it's like you said, it's a video game version of those, you know, choose your own adventure books, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. You know, do you uh, go through door number one or door number two and, you know, flip to whatever page corresponds to your choice? Right. As um, the other games mentioned, uh, Walking Dead and Wolf Among Us, those are probably the closest that I've played. But yeah, this is the mm-hmm. first visual novel by definition that I've ever played. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Wolf and Walking Dead have a very, um, they, they have a combat element to them. Yeah. A little button pushing element to them makes them, you know, separates them. Um, from that, um, I, I'd mentioned, we, we were talking a little prior to the call, uh, since 999 I've played um, Hotel Dusk, uh, Room 215, and uh, I've also started playing uh, Trace Memory, which are very similar games in this regard. Um, so, um, I, you know, I have 999 to thank for that. You know, it's really pushed me in that direction of, you know, you know seeking out those types of games. Oh, I'm definitely open to more in the future myself. Yeah, and I guess 999 is a good like uh, introductory game into this genre because it's it's really straightforward. I mean, the the plot is, even though it's convoluted, you can still follow it because, I mean, you have to play the game at least five or so times to, right. to really experience <laughs> it, right? Yeah. Um, well, well, that's the only way to understand the, the entire game. I think you have to, I think you have to play through every portion of it to really fully grasp what's going on i think you know you're getting bits and pieces everywhere right right well you know we're, we're throwing a lot of information out there and i don't <laughs> think anybody's really understanding what we're talking about right now so to to get everybody if not on the same page just can get them in on the ground floor 999 or nine persons nine hours nine doors something to that effect was uh released in 2009 it was for the Nintendo DS developed by Chunsoft. It was published in uh, North America by Axis Games. They're the same guys who brought us Blaze Blue and Death Smiles. Um, and it is that mixture of visual novel and escape the room puzzles where you have to find clues and items that will ultimately lead to your escape. Um, and it does this very uniquely because it is on the DS and you have to use uh, use your stylus and um, your upper screen is basically a layout of the room and your bottom screen is everything that uh, you can interact with so it's not so much like pixel hunting so I guess that's a, a positive step I mean a lot of old you know point and click adventure games just had a lot of, a lot of pixel hunting and this doesn't really do that mm-hmm. um but yeah, like this is a. I think the DS is a perfect uh, platform for a game like this. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree. I think, I think it works well. I think with the, with the DS and with the stylus, I, you know, being someone who's new to the DS, I just picked my first DS up. Um, I believe it was last year. Uh, Sean had actually sold me one, and. Um, you know, you, you 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 see people playing these, and you see the little stylus, and you're like, "How can that be any fun?" You know, playing a a game with like a little pen, and you know, 
Um, but, you know, in all actuality, the DS has some fantastic games that use the stylus and uh, really implement, you know, that, um, that device well. Um, and, it, and it's what makes the DS so special, I, I think, you know, in my opinion. And I think that using the stylus in this game, especially with 999, it's, it's, done, it's done very well. Um, you know, the way it's, the way both are integrated with each other. So. I, I liked using the stylus uh, to interact with uh, the objects on the lower screen. I thought it also uh, worked really well with this game. Um, mm-hmm. And like you said, the hardware, luckily, of the DS is uh, good enough for them to be able to pull off this kind of a game. Uh, earlier, probably would have been tougher on maybe the Game Boy Advance or something like that. But uh, on the DS, uh, it the uh, the whole idea works really well, so it's uh, I, I had a good time with it. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's a perfect um, like technological design for something like this because your 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 upper screen is basically the the setting and the action that's taking place, and your lower screen when you're not like interacting with stuff is it's like your inventory. Or, like, if you need to pull up the help menu, you have that, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, was, I thought it was really cool how if people were talking to you, they showed up on the upper screen. And any time you had the narrator uh, coming in and, and uh, whenever you had Junpei's thoughts or any time that you had to make a, a decision as to where to direct the plot that came up on the bottom screen. So it kind right. of it helps you get into Junpei's head because you're not in the action you're even though you're you're directly involved in what's happening you are still like a step away from everybody and everything that's going on yeah mm-hmm. the narrative separated from the action basically yeah that's yeah. right yeah um what about the puzzles i mean like that's a big that's the biggest part of this game is what uh do you have any difficulties with uh, with these puzzles? I think there were some that I had a little bit of difficulty with. I think for the most part, and, and the way the game's laid out, um, I, I think you're able to interact with certain things, and most rooms have a limited space. Um, and, and I think that it it's the right amount of not too small of a space, not too big of a space to explore, to um, to enable you to kind of figure out what you need to use, if that makes sense. Um, and so I, I didn't have an extraordinarily hard time with puzzles as far as the interactive pieces of the puzzles. Um, I did notice sometimes that I did have a little bit of difficulty um, with some of the um, with, with some of the uh, the number sequences and things of that nature. Um, you know, and, and some of the combination locks and things like that um, until, you know, it, it finally, you know, dawned on me what I was doing and, you know, you know, the light bulb went off and, you know, I figured it out, you know? Well, that yeah, that's um, probably something we should have brought up earlier is because everything in this game is based off the number nine and uh, a little concept that was invented for the purpose of this game called the digital root. And mm-hmm. um, Mike, why don't you I, run I, the listeners through the <laughs> what a digital I, root is? Pick on the new guy. <laughs> the yeah. digital, the digital root being um, 
Are we going to get right into the story, the guts of the game? Um, um, each, each, you each go character, as, as deep as you want. Each character wearing a device that has a number and each device adding up. Uh, but the total of the numbers, those numbers add together, giving you the digital root, if that makes any sense. Right. It's like um, a one digit number is that's what that digital root will be. But if you have anything yeah. essentially greater than 10, you realize like a two digit number is comprised of two digits. So you add those two together and let's say it's 23. So you add two and three and that gives you five and then you mm -hmm. can go through door five. Right, right. So maybe we should give a little bit of background about sort of what the game's about, like how, how it kind of starts out and kind of, I, I guess, give people, I, I'm assuming most people have played this game. Um, well, they would have you know, to, or else none of this would make sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so sort of the background is you you wake up on this. Um, you kind of figure out quickly that you you woken up on sort of this large vessel like boat. Um, you just kind of wake up on a, uh, I guess, in a bunk, right? A bunk bed room and a locked um, room. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. And you notice you've got a, a watch on your hand. You play as. Um, your character's Junpei. That's who you play as, and you've got a um, a a watch, a digital watch on your hand. It's got the number five on it, and so that's your number that's assigned to you. And you you get out of that first room. You meet a group of other people that also have digital watches, but everyone has a different number, and um, all, all sequenced one through nine. Right, right, one through nine, and you find these numbered doors, and the only way to get through those doors is to um, as you as we were discussing is to use the digital root formula so um what are the rules again is it um no more than five people can go through a door at one time is that correct i believe that's correct no that's... more than five no less than two no fewer yes. than three I no think fewer than no few... three yeah yeah okay 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 so um so let's say you know there's a door that has well i don't know five on it you have to have at least three people with a digital root of five so you could have um i don't know let's see you, you have let's see what uh, da, 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 da. uh like seven six and one seven six and one equals 14 and then the one and the four you add those together of the 14 and that gives you a five so that's your digital root right yep that is right okay so maybe that's a pretty good way to explain i know those of you who are listening who've never played the game before, it's sort of odd. There's quite a bit of thinking in this game, but um, the game does most of the math for you, so sorry about that. Sorry about the tangent, guys, but I, I thought it might be a little helpful to give people a little bit of a, a basis of the game. Yeah, the I mean, well, the that, that wasn't... <laughs> sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I was just going to say the digital route, it, uh, at first it confused the heck out of me, but after uh -huh. playing through five or six times, you kind of get it figured out pretty good by the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you, um, yeah. You stop thinking of numbers as like the full number that they are. You like you stop thinking of like fourteen as fourteen. You start thinking of it as one and four. Yeah. So, um, and then they also like there's so much stuff going on in this game. I mean, they incorporate uh, like conspiracy theories and and a lot of pseudoscience and um, and like. The hexadecimal system, which you know counts in base sixteen, um, <laughs> we we like we count in, in base ten, and uh, binary. Anyone who's done anything with computers or 
electricity essentially you know works in, in base <laughs> two like you basically have one zero on and off um but base 16 is just a headache until you can finally understand it um and that is the most difficult part of the game, just understanding the rules of how you're supposed to incorporate the numbers. Yeah. The, the actual puzzles themselves of escaping the rooms and finding the items are really straightforward. There's none of this, like, mm-hmm. anything that is not relevant, you simply can't click on it, right? Yeah, right. So it's not like those old games where, like, you click on, on, a, on a coffee cup... And the guy says, mm-hmm. I could really go for a cup of joe right now. <laughs> there's there's nothing like superfluous. I mean, if yeah. everything that is crucial to your escape is something that you can interact with. So that you takes right. out all the you don't just add in. You don't just add random items to the inventory. Everything has a use. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not King's Quest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, and the other good thing is everything that you pick up or are able to pick up in that room is used in that room. Mm-hmm. You're not using it right. later. Yeah. Right? It's um, not like Resident Evil where you're carrying this key like to a room across the mansion in the basement to open a door. It's uh, You're solving within that room with the items you've got there. That, is, that probably... Um segues nicely into my favorite aspect of this game is that you could save anywhere right uh, that was very helpful especially yeah. in something that is really long and mm-hmm. you know that you're going to have to put the game down to think about a lot just the fact that you could pause the game and save and just like if you're getting frustrated just turn it off and come back to it later was super super helpful mm-hmm absolutely yeah with any of these puzzle games sometimes you just you need a break and come back oh, with yeah. a fresh mind i thought um i thought um that was that was awesome the saves and everything and and just being able to like you said to save where you want you know and if you got a little stuck you know you can just kind of like you said just kind of come back to it with a you know a fresh head um and, and something else I, I really liked about the game not only just you know picking up and using items like we were talking about but um, there was a there was a feature in this game called combine, which I mm-hmm. um right. which I thought was really really cool. Um, you know, let's say um, I remember there's there's one part where um, you know, you have to use a knife to uh, <laughs> same thing cut I a piece was of meat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you use a knife to cut a piece of meat, and so if you you hit the knife and the piece of meat, you you click on the knife, you hit combine, and then you hit the piece of or you hit the piece of meat and then you hit combine then you know you're going to use that knife to slice that and i thought that was a that was a just a really really cool feature um you know you don't just kind of interact with the screen but you can like use items on top of each other mm-hmm. and um, um that that was that was a really cool feature of the game i thought and especially with the puzzle solving added a lot to it yeah. they utilize that combined feature quite often mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, that's sure right do. yeah and it's funny you should mention the uh, combining the knife and the meat because the kitchen was one of my favorite rooms. <laughs> was it really? I, I don't know why, but I, I really like that room. I think you get a lot of the story um, in that room. Yes. You know, with the Ice Nine, that's where you first get that. You get there's this really bizarre um, thing where you get locked in the freezer and, you know, and uh, Lotus is just sitting outside, not helping you, which is bizarre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of strange. We'll, we'll 
touch on that in just a moment. Um, yeah. I, my favorite uh, room, I think, was probably the operating room. I really like that huh. creepy puzzle with the, the body parts. Yeah. Yeah, I like that too. And then with the uh, the doors, the red, the blue, and the purple door, we have to mix the, the chemicals, chemicals or whatever. To, yeah. 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 That, that and then it was the sort of library. I too, found that room portion. the most yeah. challenging, but once I figured it out and I felt really smart, it became one of my favorites too. Yeah. I had that as one of my favorite rooms. I had two, uh, which was the, like you said, the operating room. And then I had the casino as another one. I thought that yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was a good room. I really liked too. that room. I wasn't, Just I wasn't of... too fond of the casino. Most, oh, yeah. Mostly because of that one playing card that's hidden on the, on the, uh, mantle. And that it, oh, it's yeah. that card is very easy to miss. Mm, yeah, it just took me a long time to figure out that you had to turn the lights on for the mantle. <laughs> <to> get... <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, um... yeah. But I, uh, my least favorite, I think, was probably the cargo room, though. Just the tedious nature of having to move all those boxes around. Oh, mm. oh yeah, See, I, yeah. That little. By the cargo time puzzle. I found that room, I had enough endings. And I kind of had enough of the game itself that I was just using a walkthrough. So I gotcha. Yeah. Like, I, I can totally agree with you that it's a, a really tedious room, but I had such like a watered down experience of it. What, Mike? You like Professor Layton in logic puzzles and that was your least favorite room? Imagine that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, nope. that doesn't seem to fit with what you've been saying. No rhyme or reason. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I just like that room too. I think my least favorite room there was the captain's quarters. Um, I think that was the worst. Okay, room for me. That's yeah. Where you, that's where you find the uh, the guy with the uh, zero watch, mm-hmm. and it took me forever to figure out the code to that door. Well, you see, because then we use the the hexadecimal system again yeah and and that is just such a a wacky number system where you go from is it one to ten and then eleven it starts at a then it starts at a but a is eleven b is twelve but in the captain's yeah in the captain's quarters they take that hexadecimal system all the way up to Z. so yeah yeah. 36. Yeah. Oh. So there's actually 36 numbers, which is 36 is the first. And if you've, if you've played the game, which we assume you have and playing this, you know, it says zero on the TVs. Right. It's got the name zero on the TVs. And that's what you have to logically put together. And I could not put that together that that's what I was supposed to, you know, be spelling out. Mm-hmm. And I, I it, didn't, took, it took I, me a while. I didn't that figure that one out myself at first. And I mean, it's kind of. It's not obvious, actually. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just see Z-E-R-O. So you're thinking mm-hmm. like, okay, maybe zero was here. Maybe zero is taunting me. You right. don't think to use that um, hex number system with the letters of the alphabet. No. Right. That was a pen and paper moment, that one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> man, this game breaks the fourth wall so hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, but anyway, you need to know that uh, botched up hexadecimal system for a very um, end game puzzle. Mm. But anyway, I think before we start getting into the endings, you're on this ship with eight other characters, eight people who 
at least during my playthroughs, I thought were going to betray me like every step of the turn, except for mm-hmm. June. You know, I thought because Junpei and June have a little bit of history, I thought like they'd, you know, they'd be solid together. Like they, they would uh, stay by each other's side. But everyone else, um, Ace, Snake, Santa, Clover, um, Seven, Lotus, I thought these guys are, you know, got to watch my back. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's sort of the beauty of this game. Um, with, with a lot of games, you'll start out with a beginning. Uh, and you just kind of get um, eased into a game. With this one, you you sort of just get thrown into the middle of something that's already occurred. Um, so you're in the middle of the story, and then you run into all of these people, and it, it seems that everyone sort of makes a decision. We're not going to tell... One of us could be this the person who captured us, this Zero character. So we're not going to give a lot of information out about ourselves. So there's a lot of there are a lot of hidden things, and and that's I, I guess that's what makes this game so special and makes this game interesting. There there are these things that you don't know about people, and you as you play through the game multiple times, you you start learning things about these people, and and you're piecing together a a, a full narrative mm-hmm. out of all these stories. Correct? I think it's kind of yeah. set up for like your first time with this game. You're just going to distrust everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the then, first. The first initial uh, playthrough with this game, you you start this game off. You have no idea who any of any of the other people are on the ship with you, and but you know that there's traps that you have to get through. Otherwise, you're gonna die. It mm-hmm. really came. It really felt to me a lot like the beginning of the movie Cube. That oh way, yeah. yeah, where you're all trapped with a bunch of strangers and you have to escape and you don't know why you're there. But you have to escape. But each room, if you don't get through it properly, you know you could uh, end up dying that way. So, mm-hmm. and that's it, a really good comparison. I mean, like if somebody had just come up to me and said, "Like, hey, I've got this game called Nine Nine Nine. You know, I'm thinking of playing it. What's it like?" I would say, take the uh, dark and suspenseful vibe of something like Saw. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. subtract the gore. I mean, this game has a little bit of gore, but not to the mm, levels yeah. of Saw. Right. And then add the um, sort of puzzle aspect, numerology aspect of Cube, and you get 999. And yeah. maybe throw in, what this game made me think of was uh, the show Lost. Oh, yes. okay. Actually, yeah. Lots of people getting thrown together quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is how Lost starts out, right? With yeah. the, the plane crash, no one knows each other. And then you start figuring things out. Someone was in handcuffs on the plane. You know, all of these, like, little things. And, you know, with these little flashbacks, and you just, you're gathering little by little information, you know, as the episodes go on, which is, this that's sort of how I viewed this game. Because I've never seen Cube. So, uh, you know, my, my association with this, this game was definitely Lost. That I, I like that comparison. I think that's really good. Um, because just like in Lost, everyone is selected to participate for a specific reason. Yeah. They're all there for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think, I don't think we can really continue without explaining what that reason is. 
Because the nonary game um, was set up by this corporation called Pharmaceutical or Cradle Pharmaceuticals. Right. Yeah. And they were essentially researching like ESP. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they'd have senders and receivers. Mm-hmm. And they discovered that to um, promote that sending ability, somebody had to have a sense of danger and a sense of urgency. So they came up with these puzzle rooms and basically threatened people that if you don't get out, you will die. <laughs> I mean, it's probably a really bad way to conduct a scientific study. Yeah. Well, they apparently did start with rats and electrifying right. the electrifying the exits. Mm-hmm. But then moved on to human trials. Yeah, I don't think this was FDA approved. No, Definitely not. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, creepy Japanese scientist approved. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But basically, everyone who's participating in the Nonner game of nine 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 has some sort of connection to the. Uh, I don't even think it has a name, but like the first nonary game, which takes place. Nine years before 999. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Everyone but you, actually. That's right, everyone but you. Um, but anyway, I think, you know, these people have... They don't know they're connected to each other by some some relationship, whether it's they were involved in the original nonary game or their children were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, was it Snake and Clover, number two and number four respectively, were part of the original nonary game? Is that- yeah. There were actually there were actually four participants. Oh, that you're right. That were in the second um, one? Uh, yes, and I and I have it broken broken. I actually have it broken down the numbers. I, I thought it was quite quite neat. There there actually seven of the actual nine people were a part of the first nonary game. Uh, you've got the four participants. You've got um, you got Snake. You've got Santa. You've got Clover and June. Were all part of the original nonary game as participants as kids, mm-hmm. nine year olds. Yep. Um, and then you have your two designers, which were Ace and the Ninth Man, uh, were both designers of the game. So that's six. And then you've got uh, Seven, who was the the actual cop um, who was trying to bust uh, Cradle Pharmaceutical uh, for what they were doing, mm-hmm. um, and was uh, was an investigator uh, and almost busted them and, and was captured during the first Nonary game and, and imprisoned and escaped. Um, so. The only two that you don't have, you've got June. She was not in the original Nonary game, but her two children were. Her two, two daughters, from you, what I remember correctly. You mean Lotus. 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 Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, not June. Lotus. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. correct, yeah. Her, her okay. children were involved with the original game. Right, right. And then there's you, who June have Day. no real correlation, except that uh, you know June, who's the... Um, uh, the girl. Yes. Uh, and you have some childhood connection with her. Right. So. Um, since we understand why essentially everybody but June Pei was involved in the non game as we played it, 
I have a little bit of a, of a theory as to why he was selected. And I think this sort of brings in, like, and this correlates to the game really well because it deals in a lot of this pseudoscience. And it's almost like, and they talked about this too in the ending, I believe, is that time branches off at very uh, certain points. And Junpei in the Nonary game is almost playing in a parallel timeline as younger June is. And so he has to solve a puzzle so that the June, nine years in the past, can get the solution to the puzzle and solve it in her timeline. <laughs> yeah. That, it, it, that it, was... That's how it turned out. That uh, yeah. <laughs> this uh, it's uh for me this was just <laughs> it's like it's some reverse Back to the Future Doc Brown stuff. Yeah, you know, like in the movie Back to the Future, you go back in time to change the future. With nine nine nine, you're in the future making choices to change the past. If that makes sense. Well, yeah, it's weird because it, you're making choices to change right. the past. Which will change your future, right? So I mean, it's <laughs> it, it, it's a super like like mind-boggling paradox. I mean, like you think of par- like time paradoxes, and like yeah, you think of stuff like Back to the Future. You think uh, like the grandfather paradox. Um, I think there's one in um, in Ocarina of Time too about teaching the the guy in the windmill the song. No. Mm. No, no one remembers. I haven't, I haven't played Octor- Octorina. I yeah. haven't played that. So. They yeah. play there, the there's, song there's of certainly time. things. Yeah, there, yeah, there's certainly things in um, um, a Link to the Past, which we're playing right now, where you will go, you know, from one world to the next, and um, things will change between worlds if you interact at one point. Things will change, um, you know, between the dark world and the light world. So, you know, something similar to that. I mean, not specific. You know, to time travel, but not specifically past and future. See, but. and you thought these games weren't connected. Nine nine nine, link to the past, same thing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, this they, was a little. This was a little bit strange how they use telekinesis and time travel and sort of combine the two, mm-hmm. communicate telepathically back through time. Yeah, right, right. I think right. if you played nine 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 and you didn't get a headache. You did something wrong. <laughs> your like your brain should be hurting from this thing, right? So I guess we should like maybe point out too, and, and something we didn't mention before was that there in the original experiment there were actually eighteen kids. Yeah, and um, what was happening? What you find out the toward the end is that the group was split. Usually, the kids had some sort of relationship. Like most of the time, they were siblings, correct? Right. And so yeah. one sibling would go. There was like um both places were set up like a sinking ship, but one was out in the middle of the desert. Uh, and then one was actually on a ship. Um, so they, they were split and away from each other. And, you know, they had to use, um, you know, there was this experiment to, to sort of increase danger to see if they could help each other out with the puzzles because their, their setting was identical in both places. Right. But they had to try to correspond, send and receive. One group was, as Floyd mentioned to the senders and the other group was the receiver. So um, 
when when you when you sort of find that out that there were two places, you know that kind of um, lends a little bit better to make a little more sense as far as what's going on, um, you know, with the story. I think. And they only alluded to that with the best ending, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, I think you're right. A, yeah. Because how did it work? Right, they were each group were made to believe that they were actually on a sinking ship. And the fact, that fact alone, I think, I mean, yes, it did increase that element of fear, but it also made people turn against each other, which was, that was an unexpected, like, side effect of the Nonary game. Yeah. In which, you know, it, it brings in, um, you know, I'm sure most of us have taken a philosophy class at some point. And there's there's always, isn't there that, um, I, I can't remember like what the situation was, something like the baby in the room or whatever. Um, you know, if you open the door, you know, something happens, do you open the door? Um, you know, there's this whole question of ethics that's that's involved, um, you know, with, with the nonary game. Um these people like Ace and like the Ninth Man on on the surface seem very evil. And I think with some of the endings you get, they ultimately, you know, are evil. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but you know, and you know, and what they're doing is not ethical, kidnapping kids and, you know, into this game. But if you sort of think about it in the theory that they're trying to test, the the only way to really put these people in this situation of danger and to be able to communicate with each other is to go about this experiment by that process. I mean, they couldn't say, hey, we're going to try this, you know, we're going to try this game out, kids. You know, we're going to put some of you here. Let's get your parents' permission. And, um, you know, we're going to see if this works because that wouldn't create a stressful enough situation to test that because they would say, well, this is just a game. If we don't win, we don't win, right? Because they're kids. But if there's a life-threatening situation, if they've been kidnapped, they're scared, then that's they had what, to be uh, yeah. deceived, right? Right. There, there's no other way to, you know, test this, you know, scientific theory mm-hmm. than to do what these people did. So, you know, I, I do see these people as bad as far as what they did, like ethically kidnapping and 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 that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, in the in the theory of science, there's really no other way to do it. I guess. Gotta break a few sense. eggs to make an omelet. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I thought it was pretty dark. I mean, taking a whole bunch yeah. of kids out of a hospital uh, yeah. and then rounding them all up and segregating them into different experiments. I think some people certainly got what was coming to them. Sure. <laughs> some of them did. I mean, yeah. I think... Yeah, well, let, let's talk about the people who... Let's talk about the people who died. <laughs> um, Depending on which ending? Over the whole course of the whole thing. Okay, because there's some people, I guess, that don't die at all. Right. Yeah. But what I mean, like... Because I think if you play this game, like, once or twice, you, you might think, oh, this is like Groundhog Day. I just have to keep doing it until I do it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not really the case. I mean... That only adds to another layer to this onion that doesn't make sense. No, yeah, there are very specific things you have to do in order in, in order to get the best ending. Right. Right, right. 
and and there and we should mention that there's six endings to this game. There's specifically six endings to this game. Um, um, and uh, like you said, there is one ending that is n- not called the best ending, but I think most people refer to it as the true ending, yeah. which, which which allows you to get credits and sort of fully flush everything out. But at, at the same time, I would argue that if you only get the true ending, there's a lot of things you miss. Right. Um, there, there are other things that you miss. So I think you really have to play all six endings to really put some sort of, um, kind of put the pieces of this puzzle, if you will, no pun intended, to, <laughs> um, to, to really understand the game fully. Right. And, and that's yeah. why I think, I mean, this game was geared towards multiple playthroughs and it was geared for certain characters to have certain fates. Right. Yep. yep. Like, um, the ninth man who dies pretty much right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, even, <laughs> even though um, he did have a chance at survival, but Ace deceived him to improve his odds of survival. And that's because the ninth man had the ninth bracelet. And mm-hmm. in the context of the nonary game and the magic number nine, whatever. It's basically a skeleton key. Basically, exactly, yeah. You know, whatever, like the that number nine bracelet can go anywhere. Right. It cancels um, out any route. Exactly. And just enters in nine. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's go through the endings in the best way that we can to put it into somewhat of a cohesive story. I mean, so we know that you wake up on a sinking ship, you escape your cabin room, you meet eight other people in a sort of centralized area. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The ninth man dies, you branch off, you solve a couple puzzles, and you're reunited again. And... This is where some more deception takes place, and this is where people start becoming suspicious of each other, right? Would this sort of be the hospital room that you're talking about? This would about? be the hospital room, yes. Mm, yeah. Because there's a big plot point that happens there, and that's they discover that Snake has gone missing, mm-hmm. and they find a dead body behind one of the numbered doors. Mm-hmm. Um, Clover, Clover being Snake's sister, gets a little bit distraught about that. That's yeah, right. a little bit. Um, so now you have Clover, who's kind of no longer emotionally stable. And, you know, <laughs> she becomes a bit of a wild card. Right. Yeah. And, and depending on your choices of action and, and things that you do... And doors that you pick and things that she sees, it, it sort of de- depends on what kind of ending you're going to get. You know, that is right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's that, and then there's the fact that um, Ace, who is the number one guy, was one of the original designers of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I guess we should say that it, you know you're you're all thrown together by this character named Zero. There's mm-hmm. this there's this character we hadn't really touched on that there's this there's this character called Zero this guy in this 
creepy gas mask with you know red eyes uh, that has gassed you and that you have a faint memory of. Um, and that's the reason that you're on the ship, and that's the reason all of you are on the ship. You've all been kidnapped, mm-hmm. and there's this whole idea, is Zero watching us play this game, or is Zero one of us? And that's what you're trying to figure out the entire time. That mm-hmm. being the difference between the nine years prior and the modern uh, the game being that uh, it was the cradle of pharmaceuticals that rounded up kids. But nine years later, you have this mystery character, Zero, I assume, gassing all of the characters and capturing them and then putting them on different rooms on this ship where they all have to escape from and right. reunite. There's no... I don't think it's... Uh, it wasn't ever revealed who, who Zero was. No. Yeah. Well, kind really? of. Really? You don't think so? Well, I'm trying to think, okay, if the ninth man... Or, or Kubota, he was yeah. one of the founding four guys of uh, the original Nonary game. Ace was the uh, CEO of Cradle Pharmaceutical. Mm-hmm. The captain of the ship, I think, was like the financier or something like that. Yes. Yes, yes something of that nature. And right. then... Part of the group. Yep. And then um, I can't remember his name, but he's the dead guy behind door number three. Was right, the one who's dressed as Snake. Right. Yeah. Mistaken for Snake and killed by Ace. Yes. Right. right. Because Ace apparently has some vision issue where he can't distinguish faces. Well, that is actually a, a real medical uh, condition. Sure. Um, One of the sure. few real ones in the game. Yeah. Of, of like, <laughs> there's so much stuff thrown at you in this game. And yeah. the one real thing you'd think like, oh, they made this up. But there is actually a thing called face blindness. Right. Um, and it is basically the inability to distinguish facial features and um, distinguish who's who just by face. Um, their, their facial structure. Um, so somebody with face blindness will remember that, um, you know, my Uncle Bob is the guy with crazy hair. Or, mm-hmm. you know, today my sister is wearing a pink shirt, so that's how I know she's my sister or something like that. They sure. don't remember people by their faces. They have to come up with different um, visual cues. Sure. Um, so Ace Ace recognizes Snake's clothing from having seen him right at the beginning when they all mm-hmm. get introduced. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, this this game has so many mysteries. It's like uh, who who kidnapped Snake, right? Who mm-hmm. yeah? Who took his clothes and gave him that weird you know like occult robe? robe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and why was he stuffed inside a coffin? Um, right. I mean, that's that's why I think if you think of all these endings as a little bit of a piece of the puzzle, it kind of helps make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, doesn't doesn't Santa admit to being zero at some point in the game at the end? I don't remember, but Santa was one of the original nonary game participants. 
Well, and that's what I thought was that and the the whole purpose of this game and setting up this game was to bring his sister back to life. Yeah. And so my my understanding was if if that was the case, if he's the one that set up this game, then well, I thought it wasn't know. to bring his sister back to life. I thought it was he, he was vengeance. zero or part of that. I thought his hmm. his whole like um, mo was to to get revenge against uh, Cradle Pharmaceutical. Right. Um, I I this, literally beat this game. Four hours ago, and I'm still confused. <laughs> um, and I think that's the point of it. I think it's, you know, it's it's one of those, it's like going to see, you know, some bizarre independent film where it just sort of ends in sort of a, an odd way, and you're like, gosh, is this movie good or is this movie bad? And then you walk away from it, and you're kind of like, you know, these things are running through your head, and you're trying to piece everything together, and you know, trying to make some final determination and, and possibly it's something you think about for weeks, you know? Well, isn't that and a sign of a good story or movie or game yeah. or whatever? Like the ending oh, sticks exactly. with you? Yeah. It, it can be. And it, and it can be that it ends up being, it, it, it never makes sense and you're never able to piece it together and you just spend your time frustrated in trying to put it together if that makes sense as well no no that, that right? makes sense because i mean i'm, you know, I'm thinking that like it can, it can definitely be a good thing and I, I know what you're talking about because i've i've seen tons of movies that end that way I, i'm i'm you know i i love movies that don't end you know with the pretty pink bow wrapped up you know yeah because i mean like a uh, concrete uh, ending a story like the can, road yeah that's right yeah i hated that ending <laughs> I, I i i thought that I was mind I, I really I really didn't like that ending, um, but I thought it was appropriate for the story. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was how else could how else could the road end? Yeah. Now, when you guys played this game, did you guys get uh, two bad endings basically right off the bat? Sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I got, and I think that's kind of standard for this game. I think. Um, well. Yeah, when when I I came to Rich and I said, you know, why don't we play nine 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 this month? And he was, you didn't outright you, you, it. Yeah. you didn't outright say no. I mean, I I came to you because I knew you had played it, so uh-huh. I um I wanted your your feedback on on this as a as a suggestion, and right. you didn't say no, but you gave me a big word of warning. <laughs> we went back and forth with this for quite a while. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I think because, um, n- yeah, like like we said at the beginning of this ep- uh, recording, is that 999 is not like your typical choose-your-adventure game. Right. No. This, like, you can reach an ending that's just like, you died. The end. Right. Thanks for playing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that's, what, that, that's where Floyd and I, like... Um, we sort of had an impasse and I was trying to like express my thoughts to Floyd. And I was like, Floyd, you, you can't, you can't tell people. Floyd's like, well, let's let everybody play this game and then they, they'll get an ending and then we'll just all talk about what ending we got. I'm like, no, you can't do that. Um, that's impossible for this game. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You have to play all of the endings. Right. And he's like, and he's like, well, I've played heavy rain. I've played these other games. You know, I got an ending and I was okay. I was satisfied with that ending. I said, but no, you can't do that because if you only play one ending, you you're gonna be angry and you're not gonna. Oh, exactly. You're not mm-hmm. gonna be able to piece the entire story together. So we had to figure out a way to do this, and that was that's one of the things that that I kind of wanted to talk about was um, 
you know, Floyd and I setting this up and, um, you know, we, we saw from the onset this was going to present challenges as a playthrough game. And, and it, sound, it sounds bizarre when you say, okay, week one, beat the game. week two beat the game (laughs) yeah and uh you know but that's how we had to present it we're like okay you know each week you play the game to completion which is you know uh, roughly five to seven hours a week i think is kind of standard fare for a playthrough it gets a little shorter because you're able to do some shortcutting with the the dialogue because the dialogue allows you to skip that um, if you've if you've gone through a certain room or you've already heard the dialogue before you know i i found that each playthrough was like at least, you know, four to five hours, even if I was skipping text. Sure, sure. Because... Well, um, it's, a, it's a very talky game. It's, it's very game. talky, right? But, um, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> I, I found the third and fourth playthroughs to be fairly quick myself with the uh, just pushing right on the D-pad all the time. Begin with memories, as it was called. Ex- yeah, and I mean, that, that's, that's what dialogue. you have to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, each ending and with... The closer you get to the true ending, those endings get longer too. Right. Yeah. So it's not like if you beat this game once and it took seven hours, if you play it again, it's going to take six hours because you can skip all that text. Right. It might take seven hours. It might take eight hours because you have to yeah. read new parts. Read new parts, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or you and, might and have, then there's additional rooms. And there's additional yeah. rooms, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there there are some paths where you can just go through um, two doors. I think that's um, uh, I have it written down here somewhere. The knife ending. That's I pretty cool. I, I, I think so. Um, I know that if you go through door three in any ending, the game kind of takes over and just takes you to a bad ending. Mm. Um, because you've. You, you, you like you do something weird that essentially forces the group to split up in a way that it can't reunite or, or like their digital roots get all wacky or something um, you didn't get to a sure character and she just kept on being crazy and murders you <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah yeah um, that would that would be the that would be the axe that was the axe yeah. that we're talking about I thought yeah. that, that was a really cool one um <laughs> That was the first ending I got, and I was just like, "What? That? That's how this all goes down? I get chopped with out of the blue by this crazy girl with pink hair." Yeah, um, that, that's. <laughs> and she didn't. She didn't really seem to be uh, gearing up to be, you know, murdering me. She seemed a little off, but you know, chopping me right. in the back with an axe off, I didn't see that coming. So. No, I mean you. You won't see any of the bad endings coming, because right. they they either are like you get literally backstabbed in all the bad endings right mm-hmm. um yeah yeah which there's only three though right that result in your untimely demise that's right that's the knife ending the axe ending and the submarine ending right sure. yeah um the knife and the axe ending it's the um it's clover that kills everyone yep. basically it's on a murder spree yeah and then the knife and the submarine ending i wasn't able to deduce who it was at neither first. was i but Nor but after I. but after going back and thinking about the events that happened after I got the true ending, um, I was able to figure out who who it was that murders you in both of those, and it's um, it's uh, Ace, of course. Uh, That's, yeah, yeah, I can that see that. Who would do it? Um, 
But I mean, of the bad endings, I think the submarine is the only one that gives you like a sense of, yes, I'm going to get out of here. They're like, there's a sub. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, even though it's, you find everybody dead, but you find a submarine. So you're like, well, everybody's dead, but I can escape. I can't drive a submarine, but it's a video game. So let's just forget that. Um, <laughs> and that sub's going to go out through the middle of the desert and sand. What? Well, we All don't right. know that yet, do we? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you getting murdered was just that, that solved plot holes. Well, yeah, I guess they're just unexplained plot holes, right? Yeah. Um, but Lots. <laughs> working towards that true ending, you get the safe ending, mm-hmm. which yep. is kind of long and... It's a bit of a head scratcher. <laughs> yeah, but that the safe actually opening the safe is what reveals to you who the people are on the boat that are in the uh, pharmaceutical company. That's right. That's where you. That's where you. Yeah. That's where you find that out. That information's inside mm-hmm. that safe. Yeah. Uh, there is also the coffin ending, which mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, you'll get the coffin ending if you do everything right, but you haven't received the safe ending yet. Yeah, yeah, that's that was just bizarre to me. It's like that ending was like, okay, you get you get the coffin ending, and then it will say to be continued, mm-hmm. and then you have to go back and do everything exactly as you just did it to get the true ending, right? Which to me is just bizarre. But it's it, it's basically the designer saying, no, you got to play this game more than one time. It, it it it's the force. They're they're forcing you to play it more than one time. Yeah. So. And, and as I think I mentioned before the call, I was able to skip the coffin ending because I'd already completed the game once. If you've already completed the game and got a bad ending or, or, or you know, the safe ending before, you can skip the coffin ending by just going straight for the true ending. Mm-hmm. So, right. I had I had the four endings uh, done, and then on my fifth playthrough, it uh, upon beating it, I unlocked the last two endings automatically. It did both sure. of them. Yeah. That's exactly right. Because in the true ending, which is basically the latter half of the coffin ending, right? Right. Um, You find out that it is, in fact, Snake who's in the coffin. Right. Then you proceed to find uh, June, who is held at gunpoint by Santa. Is that right? Somebody's held ransom towards the end. Or is it Lotus? Atus Ace has the revolver and is holding Lotus. That's right. Yeah, uh, ransom yeah. at the end inside yeah. the incinerator. And yes, that's basically you go into the incinerator where the true, real final puzzle happens. Um, and everything has been so like logical up to this point, where it's just you know combining items, using certain items on on certain aspects of the room. And then they throw a Sudoku puzzle at you. Oh. <laughs> Why? I, I've always sucked at those things. I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. <laughs> Never been a big fan of Sudoku. No. <laughs> no. Give me like, Mahong or something, but not that. Yeah. Um, but this is sort of where it comes all together. And, and you, you mentioned Snake being inside the coffin. And, of course, the coffin has a digipad on it that, you know, you have to open up. And out of the blue, you just 
know what numbers to punch in, right? Mm-hmm. You're yeah. like, oh, I know what numbers to punch in. You're like, well, that's weird. How did that happen? Um, and then as you, you go into the incinerator, you start piecing it together is that June is contacting you from the distant past and giving you that information. Right. That's how it's popping in your head. That's the... Uh- the ESP and the uh, telekinesis and the, the and, sense and of danger, the sense of danger and urgency. Sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, uh, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I thought that was a really, that was a really good surprise. The fact that what you were doing was essentially saving June nine years in the past. Right. 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 And that, and that, that goes to where you're talking about the puzzle, the Sudoku puzzle, where you're, you know, you're, you're doing that. But the irony of that is that you're sending information to her mm-hmm. and you have to, that part of the game. You have to flip the DS upside down yep. and you're playing on the other half of it and filling in that puzzle, which basically means that you're playing as her. That's in right. The past. Yeah. So oh, that was a neat little twist. I, I really like that. I, I really, I, I really like how developers use the DS in, in creative ways to do that. I know there's a few games that I've played where you have to actually close the DS to make things happen, or blow into the microphone hole to make things happen. <laughs> I think that's a really cool. Um, interactive piece and it you know kind of harkens back to the days of even the um, the original Famicom you know where you'd have to sing into the controller and do things like that you know just bizarre little pieces of technology that have you know kind of made their way and um, and that, that's that's pretty cool I, I really really enjoyed um, that piece though and I thought that was really well implemented into the story mm-hmm. um, if, if you will I liked story. it I liked it in the level they did it if they would have did it like uh, you know super or sorry WarioWare that kind of thing then it might have got a little bit too much but yeah. having, having to tilt your DS and blow into it and WarioWare is crazy with the gimmicks with the DS that way yeah yeah but I mean like we're in WarioWare that's like just a gimmick yeah. This um, turning over the DS was a like a game mechanic, and it's also like that's another area where the game breaks the fourth wall, right? Yeah, for sure. And it made strong gameplay for the game. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, so I'm sure we all used some kind of walkthrough for the Sudoku puzzle at the end, and you know, I'm 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 not going to be ashamed of it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah <laughs> yep. me too. I'm gonna own it. I, just, I hate those things. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was I was so, I'm sort of disappointed that it all came came down to one of those types of puzzles. I was like, oh, really? I don't, I don't know why I bothered doing it upside down. Still though. Did you do you flip the <laughs> DS or did you actually do it upside no, down? I did it upside down for whatever reason. I <laughs> could have easily flipped the DS, but I was like, no, I'm cheating. I'll just, I'll just do it this way. Yeah. It worked. It, yep, it worked. You beat the game. Yeah. Um, in the nick of time was now see because i used a walkthrough for the for the final ending is that final puzzle timed because i I read somewhere i don't know i read somewhere that you 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 have unlimited time to do all the puzzles except the last one and when you're going for the true ending you, you have some 
I think you have two or three more puzzles to do after after the church room, right? Like you go to that library, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which yeah. I know we said there's no pixel hunting, but there's pixel hunting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the library and the study were the, the last two rooms. Yeah. 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 I didn't like those. <laughs> not, a big, not a big fan. <laughs> And, and I, there was the uh, there was the other the coffin room. Well, the quote unquote um, um, sort of the um, not really. I guess it's sort of the hideout or the you know place where the gadgets were done and where the the mu- supposed Titanic mummy was. Oh right, was oh, it like yeah, that, yeah. that room as well? Z- Zero's um, um, like workshop. I workshop. Guess. Yeah, workshop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, or Santa's workshop. Mm. <laughs> Pun intended. Clever. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think getting back on track, you solve the incinerator puzzle. You find out that you're doing another one of these weird, you know, hexadecimal number systems, but with the whole alphabet. And the final door has what looks like a nine on it, but. You don't have any possible number combination that's that adds up to nine until you realize it's actually a Q. A lowercase Q. Yeah. <laughs> Way to troll us. <laughs> um, yeah. That was a yeah. And it was everybody could get through that door, right? Right. It, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, you got me, Cradle Pharmaceuticals. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on me. Yeah. on my face. Um, so yeah, and then you you find out that it's actually a, a Q, letter Q door. You go through there. Everybody, meanwhile, thinks that you're crazy because you're just telling everybody to touch the, the, you know, number reader thingy. Yeah. And... Then much to their surprise, a door opens, you run up a spiral staircase, you escape, and you find yourself in the middle of the desert. Right. You're on the desert. Yeah. It turns out that you were um, you were on the land-based group. Uh-huh. Right. And anyway, I think um, it gets a little bit of a Hollywood ending where you, you uh, stuff Ace into the back of the van and uh tie him up and drive away and there's a little to weird be delivered hmm? sorry to be delivered to the authorities right uh yeah. there's that yeah but then there's a weird little um almost like cameo appearance of somebody just at the very end mm-hmm. somebody who alice alice yeah oh, spoilers spoilers <laughs> um <laughs> Alice, all ice, this person who was supposedly this Egyptian mummy who was supposedly frozen but doesn't thaw out until like 96 degrees or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just going to say right here if, if you haven't played the game and you're listening to this, you're probably like, what in the world are they talking yeah. about? <laughs> <laughs> and this, this, you know, this, this game is so fragmented and, and convoluted you know the story mm-hmm. and um much like our conversation is right now i mean just you know we're just we have to go all over the place there's no way to kind of discuss the story in a linear fashion oh, yeah. right because and, and so that's not really it's yeah. not linear i mean 
it does go from beginning to end in a linear fashion. Sure. But there's a lot of gaps. Right. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot going there's a lot going on. It's like, oh well, I explained this, but oh, I forgot to say something about this, which is important to that. Yeah. You know, there, there's a there's a lot of that in this game, mm-hmm. and the, the only true way to experience this game is to play it. I mean, it, I, it, it's a narrative, but gosh, I don't know if it would work well as a narrative, as far as you know, being a movie or a film or something like that. I think this is, you know, it has very you know, cinematic aspects to it, but at the same time, I couldn't imagine watching a film like this and it being cohesive at all, but playing it as a game and taking pieces, you know, small bits from it. I think, is, yeah, it, it can only... the perfect format. Right? It can only work as a game. Because right. I, I was... It would... Yeah, go ahead. So it would be really strange for this to be set up as a film, like... I, I be, even beginning to try and understand how that would work. Like 20, 20 minutes of the film would be the first part where you get murdered by an axe, and, <laughs> and then, then all of a sudden, it, and then all of a sudden the screen goes black, and it's like Groundhog Day where you just wake up in the room flooding all over again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's I why suppose I, it could be done, but it would just be very odd. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, it is very odd to say the least. Um, I think we've discussed all the features of the game and I, you know, if anybody can't follow, then I can't apologize because I mean, just the game (laughs) is inherently not easy to follow. Right. No. I mean, and, and... and it's not one of those things that's like hard to understand because you, they took a lot of liberties with it. It's hard to understand just because it's weird, you know? Yeah. yeah. Just as a side note, is this is probably the most adult DS game I've ever played. Just as far as language and the the sort of the allusion to the violence in the game. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I think yeah, it is. It is really dark. <laughs> this, yeah, uh, but like there was f bombs in the narrative sure. quite mm-hmm. often. I've never seen that in a, any other Nintendo game that I'm aware of. Well, or Nintendo platform, sorry. Right, I think uh, people wouldn't be using sugar-coated curse words in a scenario like that. Right, Pro- probably it's very not. True form. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. I give them props for that though, because Nintendo, you know. They've always shied away from that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, always been known as the family system, the family computer, Famicom, of course. Mm-hmm. So the safe and, and, console, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, if so, if you uh, thought uh, Nintendo was all, you know, Mario and Pikmin and rainbows and sunshines, nope. Pick There's this game up, you'll death. you'll see. Yeah, yeah. betrayal, f bomb. I didn't really think of that. Yeah, I did. I didn't really put that together but you're right i mean it's it's entirely you know the type of story that you wouldn't see on nintendo mm-hmm. and for this to only be released on the ds i mean you know that says a lot you know about the story and uh, you know how it stands as far as them you know allowing this to be on their system yeah so uh so that's yeah and, and there's actually a sequel to this game correct there is um really it, yeah mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's available on the 3DS and the PS mm-hmm. Vita, and it's called Virtue's Last Reward. Zero's, yeah. Zero's Escape, or Zero Escape, I should say, Virtue's Last Reward. Why do I have a feeling that Mike will be at Krabby's store tomorrow? We got that North America? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Add another one to the list. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing we didn't get, and maybe even Japan didn't get this, but there was apparently a third game in development or in some kind of planning stages. Mm. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm intrigued now. I really want to see where they go from this game. Um, mm. Based on what I know, and I haven't played it, but just like from reading reviews and, and watching enough stuff on YouTube that I can get a taste of what to expect without spoiling anything for myself. Some characters return. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my understanding. And there is a new nonary game. And in the new nonary game, they incorporate uh, the prisoner's dilemma. You can rat somebody out or you can ally with somebody. And if oh, so they they incorporate more of the the backstabbing, double crossing that sort of goes on between right, yeah, some exactly. characters. Except okay. in Virtue's Last Reward, I think, um, if you vote to backstab somebody and the group votes to backstab somebody, you get two points. If you vote, oh, there's a point system. This has a point system, and and I'll get to that in in a second. If you vote to ally with somebody and they vote to backstab, you get one point. If you vote to ally and the group votes to ally, then you get no points. And the first to nine points wins. And when one person gets nine points, they can go through the number nine door. That is the end. So from what you just said, you cannot win the game unless you backstab people. Yes. Interesting. Um, Yeah, it... Hmm. I, I think that's all that I can say because that's all that I really know. And no, fair enough. I mean, I, I want to know more. I want to I want to play it, but I've got so much on my plate right now. Like, just <laughs> we're we're wrapping up uh, Link to the Past too, and we're gonna oh, have yeah. to start some big games in the next couple months. Mm. But uh, that is, I'll I'll pick it up eventually, um, and it should be good. Yeah, and um, I think uh, yeah, we we got uh, we got everything. We got uh, the convoluted story. We got the endings. Um, any closing thoughts, guys? Yeah, let's um, let's talk about our maybe let's talk a little bit about our thoughts on the game. You know, sort of our it, it, our review, if if you will. Like, is this a game that we we all liked? Um, you know, is this something that we would you know, tell other people about and tell them to play. I I definitely liked it. And I mean, if writing about four or five pages of notes is any indication. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, it's, I, uh, go ahead. Play. It's very unique and I give it a lot of points for that. It's, yeah. it's like Mike said, it's uh, as far as we know, the most adult game on the, on the Nintendo platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's one of the most engrossing and captivating things that I've played in a long time, I think. Like, I beat this game in a week. I was getting about an ending a day. And 
it left me mm-hmm. feeling so burned out at the end, but it was so yeah. worth it too. I, I agree with that. There is a, a feeling of being burnt out with this game and definitely, you know, playing the same things over and over again gets a little tedious. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even I, if you I think can for me skip, it was really, yeah. yeah, really aggravating to have to look up like how to get the true ending, you know? And I was like, I just don't want to keep playing through this game over and over again. You know, I know there's a true ending here. I don't want to keep playing through this game over and over again getting the same endings and, you know and there's it's, no it's a time sink that's a huge oh, it's, time it's sink. a big time sink because like six endings um even if you let's say you don't go for the coffin ending explicitly um then there's five endings times let's say conservatively five to eight hours per game mm-hmm. uh per storyline i should say you know that's you know Let's you know, typical like JRPG forty hour minimum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Without the uh, constructs of a, a monthly playthrough, uh, I suppose a guy could have been playing it forever. I, I would imagine it would take that long to get you all the endings, but mm-hmm. it, it definitely time consuming. And uh, yeah. like uh, Floyd, you had a a couple endings that you had gotten a couple times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the only reason that. I was able to beat this in a week is because I was taking down notes of uh, basically like how to optimize a room and which doors did I go through in which order. Right. And just to help me make sense of everything that I was witnessing, I I sort of jotted down the key points of what everybody was saying and and all these revelations that I was getting. But that's the thing. You have to have a pen and paper ready with you when you're playing this. And we should say that the game does a good job of, if you've been to a room, it will kind of darken out and show that you've been to that room before. But sometimes you only have like two or three choices of rooms, so you have to know where you've been before, so it does help to jot it down, mm-hmm. you know, at least in your, you know, subsequent playthroughs, because they'll all be kind of darkened out, right, you yeah. know, at, at some point. So, um, there's that. Um for me, and, you know, we, we had talked a bit before about um, how Mike had just finished the game a few hours ago. Floyd's probably about a week out from finishing, right? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Maybe a little longer. Um, and, and I originally picked this game up, I think I picked it up around October of last year. And it was when I picked up, and I, I remember picking it up, and the and the guy at the counter I bought, he's like, oh, this is a really good game. And, and I, I picked it up on a whim. I, I didn't know anything about this game. Okay. I read the back and I'm like, I think I picked it up for under ten bucks. That's really good. Uh, and I was, yeah, yeah. And, and I read the back and I was like, well, this sounds really interesting. You know, this sounds like something I would really enjoy playing. I, you know, had sort of a, a, a kind of a creepy, mysterious aspect to it. Some puzzle solving. I was like, oh, I'll give this a shot. And I ended up playing it in December. So I finished it late December of um, last year. Um, so sorry I didn't play with you guys during the month, but you know, just being a you know, a little le- a little more than a month removed. Um, you know, I-, I just didn't want to play it again, and I had already gotten all the endings. Mm-hmm. But even now, having this much time away from it, I'm I'm really still on the fence about whether I really like this game or not. Um, I, I think it's brilliant. I-, I think like the whole idea of using the number nine and uh, the number system. And how they went about the game is completely mind-boggling to me. 
how they could set this game up. Mm-hmm. You know, and, yeah. and all the things they had to take in consideration. Well, will this work? What is the what are the probabilities? What are the possibilities of this? To me, that's completely fascinating and and one of the coolest things I've ever seen in a game. I think yeah, just like plotting this game out, like doing the storyboards for it, right? Absolutely. The fact that Absolutely. they yeah. had to map out every route you could possibly take. Yeah. Every scenario. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's that. That's the positive thing for me. That's the positive takeaway. And what I love about this game, I love the puzzles too. The puzzles I thought were really well done. They were a lot of fun. They were very interactive. Great use of the um, the DS, as I mentioned before. But where I my take and my my negativity toward this game is 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 really the plot holes and the story. A lot of it felt. I, I guess you know I compared this game to Lost mm-hmm. and. You know how like Lost is this like over captivating story and spoiler, the ending of Lost sucks. I like I mean, that. Oh yeah, I, 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 I thought mean, it was good. Okay, it's in the same way you're describing <laughs> this. The ending of Lost had too many plot holes that left yeah. you wanting more. Like, yeah, yeah, and, and I know what you mean, Floyd. And, and I, I mean, I'm satisfied with the the ending of Lost, but I, I felt like over the creation of Lost, there was so much build up. And I feel like they never had any idea of where they really wanted to go from beginning from the beginning until the end, and and I, I sort of felt that same way about this game. I felt like there were things that were just sort of, you know, like you know, the red ESP. herrings maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the like the whole ESP. I didn't understand the mummy thing, um, or the I, Ice Nine. Yeah, it just and and then the like the facial recognition. All these like different little things were kind of thrown in that made the game. A little more and more ridiculous, you know. But at the same time, I really enjoyed the game. I, I think you know, there, I mean, there's so if, much about it. I think's brilliant. If, you know, if you want to make that comparison to Lost, I mean, yeah. Lost didn't really bring in anything that didn't need to be there. I mean, I think neither did Nine 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 to that extent, but they didn't flesh out their sort of pseudoscience stuff that they were talking about. I mean, like, yeah. nine, nine, I mean, uh, Lost worked on a much more simple premise was that the, they needed to crash land on that island and they needed to um, integrate with each other so that they could accept their shortcomings and their flaws so that they could mm-hmm. pass, over. pass over, right? Sure. Yeah. So sure. that kind of makes sure. sense. Right, uh, right. 999 is just wacky you yeah. know <laughs> i uh i like the game um my first time with a more of an adult sort of uh puzzle story driven game uh mm-hmm. the latent series doesn't have people exploding when you go into rooms and things like that <laughs> little luke little luke dropping the f-bomb when you don't do a puzzle right or anything like that <laughs> i i like this game and i liked a lot of the pseudoscience yeah. i liked yeah. my favorite thing in the whole game for story-wise as part of the plot was where they explain about the santas oh the white yeah. and black santa oh wow yeah yeah, that that was my favorite thing. I've told people that story after playing the game. That 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 uh, was actually just, really cool, and that's where the red suit came from—the blood. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Originally, there was a white and black Santa. The black Santa was bad and punished the bad children, and the white Santa was good and brought the good children toys. Except 
he started getting annoyed at the black Santa because he was always bad. So he decides to murder him <laughs> and all the blood turns his white suit red. And that's where the red Santa came from. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that ties in with Santa's character really well because he's having that sort of ethical crisis where like, yeah, he doesn't know where sure. he lies on the spectrum. Is he good or is he bad? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I thought it was a really uh, good story for me. I like my storylines to sometimes be a little bit darker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it hit for sure that way. Oh, absolutely. For me, too. So, and the gameplay was, it was all, uh, it was all puzzle driven. So, right. there was no action sequences like we described with uh, games like Walking Dead, where you have the action sequences as well as puzzles. Mm-hmm. But walking those Walking Dead game and uh, Wolf Among Us, the puzzle there really is no puzzles in those games, though, is there? No, no, they're almost like, um, it's just all a story. Those games, yeah, it's all it's all a story. Built into it. So this is story with puzzles. It's kind of, I, I I enjoyed it though. I thought it was a is a decent game, and I'm really yeah. intrigued now knowing there's a sequel. I want to know where they go with hopefully explaining some of those plot holes in in further games. Sure. Sure. I, I certainly hope they do. Yeah, me too. Um, and, and again, you know, like I said, I'm just sort of just still on the fence with this game. You know, there's so much I there's so much I really love about it. Uh, but yeah, I just you know just so you know other things. I I really like the the ESP aspect of it. You know, that's you know that's pseudoscience. I understand, but you know a little of that's okay. But I think it. You know, it just, it, it went a little far. Um, and, and another kind of question I had, maybe you guys can help me flush this out. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we, we know that everyone, like, they're separated into two groups. One's on the desert, one's in the desert uh, maze, um, you know, replica ship, and others are actually on the ship. How is it that we know that, like, all of these characters that are split are siblings, but how is it that our character Junpei has some sort of relationship with June that they are able to connect? It, it just seems it just seems strange that he is sort of an other, you know, he's sort of an outsider to this entire process. And how does he get brought into this process? I guess is that does that make sense? What I'm saying? Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. Um. Other than I mean, I, other than yeah. Junpei and June being childhood friends, right? I mean, you don't know where their childhood begins. Does it begin after the original Nonary game or before? Um, right. But yeah, it's, I assume their friendship resumed after the original Nonary game. Like they were friends, and she got kidnapped, and but it resumed. But that's just reading a whole lot into it that they, they don't explain any of that. Yeah. yeah. And there's the whole there's a rabbit story about the the murdered rabbits. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, you know the puppy that he defends at the end mm-hmm. when you hear about that. You know there's there's definitely connection between the two, but you know there's there's not a um I guess uh sort of an utero connection, right? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I uh, think uh, like like the others have. Maybe it's a little bit like, you know, Doctor Who and it gets all timey-wimey. Um <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. I don't like Doctor Who, but that's the only quote that I know. Right. <laughs> um or, or maybe if you want to make a comparison to something that we can all sort of relate to because the collector cast did an episode on it, it's almost like BioShock Infinite where you have multiple mm-hmm. timelines going on at the same time. 
Blah 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 blah. <laughs> right. Sorry, that. sorry. I haven't I played still that yet. That I haven't game. played the first one. <laughs> Don't worry. The... I've only made. I've only played about twenty minutes into it. So. <laughs> Don't worry. Infinite is just Call of Duty with magic. <laughs> um, and, and then the other thing that I guess I had to question with the game is: is June an actual physical presence? in this second edition of the Nonary game. I mean, everyone seems to see her. At first, I was thinking, like, maybe she's just sort of a ghost that only Junpei can see, Mm -hmm. and she's sort of looking through his eyes. But she is actually a physical manifestation. And then in the incinerator room, she just disappears. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't quite get that myself. Like, it all, everybody, like you say, Rich, everybody seemed to acknowledge that she was there. Right. Mm -hmm. But then in that incinerator room, sequence then yeah like you say she's gone so was she really there the whole time or that that part i was confused about right right then that was me too i'm like oh my god is this the sixth sense you know (laughs) yeah you know they're from you know only you know junpei can see her but then you know everyone makes references to their relationship and you know you know uh so she's definitely a physical presence she's definitely there because Oh, that's one thing we didn't touch on yet. Is <laughs> yet <laughs> June's bracelet is the number nine. It was just put on her upside down. Right, oh. so she thought it was a six. They, everyone thought it was a six. Yeah, and which makes the game even more brilliant because you 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 could you could go back and sort of trace this, you know, with the different decisions that are made. And the numbers still work out, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, yeah. and, and again, I mean, wow. I mean, the designers of this game are, it's, it's brilliant. It's a, it's a brilliant game. I think it, again, I think it goes a little too far over the line, but I mean, just the, the brilliance of the game is just impeccable. I mean, it's so well thought out, Yeah, you know, amazing. Oh yeah. No, I agree. All right. So, um, what, uh. Do you guys think we we wrap that up as best as we could? Yeah, I think so. I think that's... I, I, I I hope so. Me, well, I, I certainly hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we I think we touched on uh, on the points as best as we could. Uh, other than that, I mean, it, somebody just simply has to play this game yeah. to experience to experience it. Yeah, you you uh, you put it the best way. You just have to play this game if you want to really get the experience of it yep yeah okay so i think um we did the best that we could to wrap up a very convoluted game and i appreciate everybody for sticking through this one i mean took a bit of a chance on this one but i think it was totally worth it um so big thank you to dougley 007 engineer mike thanks for playing thanks for joining us Thanks for having me, guys. Um, Rido, uh, we don't know what happened to him. He started, but uh, the thunder from down the thunder under. from down under uh, <laughs> got uh, I don't know sank on the ship. And then our very lovable single banana. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun, guys. It's a I couple days really after Valentine's Day, we got to share the love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Right on. So, next month we will be playing 
uh, Batman Arkham Origins on uh, that's available on the PC, Xbox 360, and PS3. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially a origin story for the whole Arkham franchise. Uh, never played this one before. It's uh, Sean's recommendation for us. Should be good. Batman's my favorite superhero. So, got some... I'm looking forward to joining. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a good one. Hopefully it's uh, got enough of that Metroidvania that uh, Asylum had. All hail Funyarimpa. Bye. draw the show to a close thank you for listening and a very special thank you to everyone who joined the playthroughs and to our special guest engineer mike for joining the show remember to visit rfgeneration.com to participate in our playthroughs discuss the games or leave feedback about this podcast Join us next month in our playthroughs for March 2015, in which Rich will be hosting Medieval for the Sony PlayStation, and I will be hosting Batman Arkham Origins for the PS3 and Xbox 360. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on the RF Generation Playcast. (laughs) 